No, I am. I, I I don't agree with. <laughs> And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. This looks like a job for Superman. Hey, let's hear it for Captain America! Gentlemen, you're up. And now, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, and Chris Honeywell. All right, Comics Monthly Monday. We are we are ready for launch. I need a go no go, Scott Gardner. Go flight. Paul Spadaro? Go. Chris Anywell? That'd be a go. And I'm Mike Bailey. Hi, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. We totally have to do Apollo 13 at yeah, some no point. Yeah, no doubt. I love that movie. Love, love that. As a matter of fact, I'm not scoring this particular episode, so Chris is going to have to uh, throw some Apollo 13 music in there. That'd be awesome. That'd be a great way to bring the show in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what to do, man. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 we could definitely do that, Scott. Yeah, that's what I'll do, Scott. No problem. Get Ronnie Howard to edit it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we should have had Clint Howard on this episode because he's in all those. Oh, why did I think of that? I actually dub him in, going ha, 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 at some point just to just to say he was there. Does it help <laughs> if I'm drinking Tranya? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this drink drinks uh, tastes a lot like what I imagined Tranya would taste like, so that's pretty cool. It's got to taste pretty good because McCoy just goes, Wha-bam! <laughs> what? Wha-pam! Wha-pam! Oh, uh, McCoy looks like he just had some of the liquor of the gods. What are you talking about? When he drinks the Tranya in that episode. Remember, they sort of sniff it like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's poison. And then McCoy drinks a Kranya and he's just like, mm-hmm. Does he beam over with them in that? I don't remember that. 
Yes. Does he? Okay, I don't. He, know. He, ha- he Well, you know McCoy. He likes the. He I don't likes think the liquor. Have we done that? We haven't done that one yet. I don't think so. Month. Yeah, Corpo might maneuver. That's a good one. Ha ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> I threw that into the new uh, the new intro on Star Trek Monthly Monday just because I like that laugh, and I knew you liked. it. I knew it would crack you up. So that's why. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, <laughs> we're back. So, yes. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm here for one purpose, and that is, you know, after listening to uh, Comics Monthly Monday number 45, which was a fantastic <sighs> episode, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. It just occurs to me that Chris Honeywell really, really needs a handler. So that's what I'm here for. I tonight. thought you were going to say hand job. <laughs> well, maybe he needs that too. Maybe that would mellow him the hell out. But uh, yeah, we've hired least... Suki here too. <laughs> see, see, Scott, you and I are on opposite ends there because I say Chris, oh. I say Chris, drink more energy drinks. No, 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 no. Ah, <laughs> uh, but it was it was a fantastic episode. I enjoyed it very, very much. Although, you know, one thing, one addition I would have made to that uh-huh. show. Because I really, really enjoyed that. Everybody's one. got a big butt, Dottie. <laughs> but you got, you know, you guys talked about uh, the convention, you know, New York Comic Con and all, and there was a lot of other talk about other conventions and Dragon Con and such. And it got me to thinking that uh, we really need to dredge out that old clip of uh, do you, Chris. Do you remember when uh, when we had um, Bruce Boxleitner, that little Bruce Boxleitner clip, open one of our shows? It was like. This is Bruce Bop, Bruce Boxleitner. Bleep you! <laughs> we need to dig that one out. Oh, jeez. All right, if anybody I, remembers which episode that is out there. <laughs> I know it's out there somewhere. <laughs> I vaguely remember doing that in the haze of, of all these episodes. God, I was on our uh, forum the other day and adding another... Throwing another um, "Hey Kids" comics on the pile because he's putting one out every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, I was just looking at all our episodes and going, "Man, it's a lot of crap to listen totally... to." No, those are old episodes. Those are those are the classics, right? right. That right. are what they're they're a year or two old at this point. Yep. And, then, and he is in the floor with us. Oh, sure. And as far as the numbers go, those, oh, those numbers are like two and three times our regular numbers. And I'm just looking at it, and I, I have both, like, you know, I, I'm so proud because, you know, according to Andy, you know, we, we were kind of the inspiration for him to, to get off his behind. And, well, and I was going to say, he couldn't, couldn't have done it without us, but then I think, ah, he probably would have done it just three three months later without us right. <laughs> so you know I'm, I'm very proud from from that perspective but but you know i'm also like oh, damn leyland you know <laughs> well you know i mean not sour grapes or anything but people are suckers for those accents you know them british accents so Maybe we should go British. Maybe that would help us out in our in our ratings a little bit. You think bit. it would be passable? I, you know, it's so much easier when you have a natural British accent. They, you know, they have a they have really a, to sound uh, British. It, it's 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 easier when you have a natural British accent. That's a, yeah. That's, that's an astounding <laughs> statement there. Thank Chris. you. Are a genius. That's what. That's my purpose for being on the show. <laughs> Master of the obvious. 
I thought that was my joke. You know, you know water is so much better when it's wet. I mean... <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> well yeah, you know, well, you say you that, you say that, and it sounds stupid, but jump in that swimming pool when it's frozen, baby. Yeah. Not that wet then, huh? <laughs> Not that you guys ever have frozen swimming pools, you bastards. You know, I, I had actually prepared this this whole, like, jovial rant about, you know, you guys being just rambly and all over the place and everything, but I can't really use it now because we're, what, five minutes in, and it's pretty much the same thing. So. I think this is pretty focused. You, you do? seem right on point, man. Mm-hmm. Focused like a laser. <laughs> like a laser <laughs> Well, okay, okay, man, okay, Mr. Agenda. So, what what do we got on the agenda then, Mr. Um, laser, well, laser pointer? Um, well, I mean, I'll, I'll let everybody else run first, because my my big thing is I, I I've got a uh, I've got some feedback here that I want to get to, and I and I've got a little bit to talk about in the world of uh, what I've been up to in comics, but uh, I want to make sure everybody else gets uh, gets their preamble out of the way as well. Well, I, I have very little um, because there's actually something that I can't talk about. So hopefully I'll be able to talk about that next month. Why can't you uh, talk about it? Because I was specifically asked by the parties involved not to. So, Who are the parties uh, involved? Can't say. Ha ha ha. What's it, it about? <laughs> if it actually happens, it'll be a big deal. Um, but what I would like to, to do <laughs> does, is... Does it have uh, any? Yeah. Does it rhyme with exchange operation? Is it bigger than a bread box? Paul, does what it, is wrong with you? <laughs> does it rhyme with Hooperman? You said it would be a big deal. Uh, somewhat, Scott. Um, Uh-oh. Anyways. Um, does it does it rhyme with Booker Scandal? <laughs> <laughs> I want to send a big thank you out to Donovan Morgan Grant. Um, Donovan Grant, out of all the... You, my sir, are a gentleman. You just can't... We can't phase you, man. You're, no, I'm... I'm I, I don't phase you, yeah, I grew up with three older <laughs> sisters. I've been through the gauntlet of, of, of mental torture my entire life. Um, no, Donovan Morgan Grant, who is uh, one of my friends from the Spider-Man Crawl Space, and he does a bunch of he does a couple different podcasts as well, including a Dragon Ball Z podcast. And uh, I think of all the people on the internet that I know that I talk talk you know talk through Facebook with he was the one that was just chomping at the bit for me to see Dark Knight Rises and I just never got around to it because I really wasn't interested when it first came out and while I got quasi interested just to see how everything ends you know it was never enough to go you know I'm going to go plunk down five six bucks at a matinee to go see this in the theater and he made a he made what I thought was a joke which is if you see this when it's in theater when it comes out on DVD I'm going to buy it and send it to you and lo and behold, two days ago, I get my mail, and there's the Blu-ray DVD combo pack of Dark Knight Rises that he bought and sent to me. Oh, so that's that the I best way it. to see it for free. <laughs> I like so, uh, Morgan Grant. <laughs> I have a lot of movies I don't have on DVD. <laughs> no, it, just, it, 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 it was just like, and, and, I, and I posted about it on Facebook. He's like, we have to talk about it, so... Uh, probably over on one of the other shows that I do that I won't mention the names of, so Scott won't give me a hard time oh, about you my other I'm... crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even though you were on one of them recently, which is your uh, your write up 
about that, by the way. Um, I felt really bad because, you know, you, you had posted that episode up like right at the time that I've kind of I've, I've kind of taken a step back and I've, I've just decided to, to take some time off from the Internet for a while. So it was like right at that time when I had done <coughs> that. So I, so I didn't. Yeah, it was kind of. This podcasting thing was just cutting into my porn time way too much, but no, I just I've, I've decided to just kind of step back from from Facebook for a while, and uh, so I didn't get a chance to to uh, not so much didn't get a chance I just didn't um, promote the episode or, or anything that I was on, but I really wanted you to know that I appreciated the write up that you did on that because it was really nice. I mean, you really, sure. I could tell that you were, <laughs> you were taking what I had said very much to heart and like really playing up the fact that I was, you know, on this episode and all, but I liked it. I thought, I thought it was very nice. Oh, my, it, it was a fun episode to do. I, uh, and, um, people have liked it quite a bit. So, and I'm very late because of the thing I've been working on that I can't talk about. <sighs> you keep talking about. Yeah, it, it, this is what is called a tease. <laughs> so, if you guys don't know what Mike's talking about with the episode that he was just mentioning, though, it was uh, Bailey's Batman podcast. It was number fifteen. Fifteen, yes. Episode fifteen, where where Mike and I got together and discussed Batman number forty-eight. Is that right? Somewhere around there. Something like that. Anyway, it was it was the origin of Batman was was the original story. It was the one that the the first like fully flushed out um, origin of Batman story. We we had a discussion of that, and uh, obviously I'm prejudiced because I was on the episode. But not to sound like I'm being e- egotistical or tooting my own horn, listening back to that, I thought that was a really really solid episode. Yeah, we were we were on. Um... We were on. Yeah. It, it was one of those it's one of those things where sometimes, you know, like right now we're just kind of shooting the shit and having some fun. Right. But when you when you get into the actual conversation and you can kind of feel it when it's happening where you're bouncing back and forth and everyone's making the points they want to make. Uh, you know, it's 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 like, you know, in this show when we get like that, it's when like when Scott Paul and I get like that on Back to the Bins. There is nothing better than that feeling. And then as the editor, there is nothing better than listening back and realizing that that was actually happening. Right. Well, so, I, I just want to throw it out there that, you know, a, a little challenge, I guess you'd say, you know, if, you, if you're of the opinion, because I hear this a lot. If you're of the opinion that all we ever do is you know, me in particular, that I'll, I'm, I'm just negative all the time. And I never like anything and I never praise anything. Listen to that episode because it's just Mike and I just gushing about a story that mm-hmm. we love. Yep. And. I was especially proud of the way that one came out because I it just I, I feel I, up until I heard that episode, I felt like I was still struggling with that old demon of if, if you hate it, you, you can talk about it for three hours. But if you love it, you, you got five minutes of going, wow, that was awesome. And then you got nothing else. I felt like we did a solid, long episode about a story that we really loved and brought that passion out with more than just, wow, gee, this was awesome. You know, <laughs> I, I thought we really did a good job. I don't think we've um, ever seen Wow G anything, but I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, you know, the other thing too is uh, you know, like you say, if you just want to hear us, uh, really just you know, on our game and and kind of, I, I felt like it was almost like an old school like uh, Tales episode. Or yeah, something that's like exactly that, what it felt like when I was editing. I was like, shit, this is like when Scott and I would be like. In a, in a story that we really liked and weren't, well, I guess we can't bitch about Joe Kubert anymore, can we? 
Sure we can. <laughs> that that might be bad taste. <laughs> well, you know, it, it occurs to me that a lot of the guys that we rip on, I have no idea if they're alive or dead anymore. Because <laughs> I got the biggest kick out of uh, last Comics Monthly Monday when you stopped the conversation. You know, Paul was right in the middle of telling his uh, Herb Trimpey story, and you were like, I'm going to pull a Scott. And I thought that dude was dead because I started laughing because I'm thinking, oh, my God, I thought he was dead, too. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i don't i don't think just because they're deceased doesn't mean that you can't you know give an honest critique of of their work you know i mean so long as you're not like you know he was a rotten guy and i hated his guts and he was you know he was a child molester and it was, as long as you're <laughs> keeping it to the art and not the person i think you're fine you know i mean you know what everybody has was a their child taste molester? <laughs> but you know you know what i mean yeah wasn't it esther who was that <laughs> I don't know, but that's really all I had. I haven't been, I haven't been really buying too many comics recently. Uh, I, I I have been reading a bunch of my back issues. I have torn through most of the 1980s Question series. Um, does that hold up? Uh, I think it does, mainly because of the way Denny O'Neill wrote the book is it's more of kind of a film noir, you know, kind of like part martial arts movie, part philosophical introspective into the nature of people and identity and all that. Now, you had read that before, right? Nope, this is my first time. Oh, okay. Well, oh, good. Well, good. All right. That tells me it does hold up then because... That's one of those things that's on that like one of these days list of mine that I want to read it again because I read that series new coming out. That was actually something I subscribed to from start to finish of that series. Loved it back then. But whenever I think back on it now, I'm always like, you know, I bet you that didn't hold up very well. I bet you that that's going to feel like a really 80s you know, thing. But uh, I'd be curious to go back and examine it because I have fond memories of it. I've just... It's, you know, usually when you have fond memories of something, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. But this is weird because it's one of those ones I look back on and I just don't expect that it would uh, have held up. But I'd be curious to to find out. Yeah, I I, I dig it out. I mean, it's a pretty quick read. It's a very odd. It's a very odd read, too, because sometimes the issue just ends and the story's not over. Right. You're just like you get to that last page and it's like, I'm I'm glad I have the next one right here because this must have been maddening month to month. (laughs) I guess one of the reasons I suspect that maybe I wouldn't like it now or something or maybe it wouldn't be as good as uh, I remember when they tried to revive it and none of the revivals worked because they, you know, the series. I'm trying to remember how many issues it ran. It ran something like 37 issues or 36 issues. And then there was a quarterly series. Yeah, see, the quarterly, I thought it stunk. I got all the, I think there's like five issues of that. I didn't think any of those were any good. And then there have been one or two minis after that that weren't any good either. Well, so. there was a there was one in 2004, 2005, uh, that was written by, of all people, Rick Veach, that, uh, I don't know, Chris might like it. I absolutely fucking hated it. No, it was, was that the one that Superman guest stars in one part yeah. of it? Yeah, I've got it, and I I couldn't make it and past the just, first issue. And it's just what? Superman is just completely out of character. Too. What comic is this? Because I'm trying to get all everything I can of Rick Beach. So I I would. Question? It's a question miniseries. 
from like like I said around 2004 back around 2004 2005 they did this whole thing where they were trying to like gin up the Superman titles and they had what they called the Superstorm where they had all new creators on all the main books they brought Chuck Austin onto action Greg Rucka came onto Adventures of Superman and that's when Brian Azzarello wrote the most boring Superman story ever <laughs> uh, but you also had Birthright coming out around the same time. You had Superman Batman premiering. And they pulled this question miniseries into it because he was in Metropolis. And Superman basically shows up to say, I, I have the first town. issue of that. I have the so, first issue of that. So, I, I mean, it, that. he did things with the question that gave the question quasi superpowers. And I didn't really warm up to that at any point. I, I reviewed it for the Superman homepage years ago. Uh, but it was just like Superman was there and it was the best. It was one of the worst examples I've ever seen, but best examples I've ever seen of Superman's great in his own title. But when he guest stars in other titles, people don't know how to write the character. He's like he's like the two dimensional version everyone thinks of when they think of Superman. Right. And uh, and it just bothered the piss out of me. Uh, Tommy Lee Edwards did the artwork. The artwork was interesting, which is another reason why I think Chris would like it. Um, but it was basically it was very like Gene Colony, wasn't it? Yeah, like, sort of like a painted Gene Colony. I'd uh, I'd go with that. Yeah, yeah. So now, interesting. That's German for socks, right? Because I thought the art was terrible in that book. <laughs> interesting is German for socks. Yes. <laughs> But uh, that's pretty much all I got. Who's up? Who's up next? I got a... Uh, today, uh, Tom DJ posted on Facebook that he he bought a Kindle, and he was looking for something to buy, so I uh, suggested uh, Jose's book, and Tom immediately purchased it, so I just felt very good about pimping uh, Jose, Jose's book. Uh, but I just started reading uh, Marvel The Untold Story, which is kind of interesting, because... Uh, you know, it starts in the 40s and it works through. I'm I'm up to about 1970 so far. But apparently, uh, when Stan was in the uh, the military, he was quite the player, and uh, was getting some. So just just an interesting read. Now, what what is that? Is that a book that just came out? Uh, well, it's probably out a couple of months now, and uh, basically, it ta- I I think it starts. You know, well, I know it starts. Uh, you know, at the beginning of uh, the comic book. Uh, you know, comic books in in the late 30s, early 40s, and goes through the whole history of Marvel, and I think it comes up to the two, you know, to to, to the 2000s, but I'm not really sure about that, because I know it focuses a lot on the 70s, and I'm just getting up to that. I'm about a quarter of the way through the book. And who's uh, the author? Uh, it's a good question. I don't have it in front of me, and I oh, don't know right. off the top of my head. Is it a book book or an e-book or what is it? Well, it's it's, it's a book book, but it, you know, it's available for the Kindle. Uh, cool. I got it. I got it out of the library, but uh, I have to check into that. That sounds interesting. It definitely is. It's it's so yeah, you know re- so far. Re- kind of kind of library. Library. I've heard of those things. <laughs> kind of kind of <laughs> cool. Like reading about like uh, apparently F- Federico Fellini was a big Stan fan back in the sixties, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, Mario Puzo was uh, writing for a magazine that Martin Goodman was publishing. So he was hanging out at the Marvel offices a lot back then. And it goes into, you know, Jack Kirby's resentment of Stan a little bit. 
so you know, not, nothing you know earth shattering so far. Nothing that you wouldn't have kind of figured out on get, your own. Hmm? Where do you get to the seventies where it's just this complete clusterfuck of an of an organization? Apparently, uh, yeah. Well, the I'm fact just that any now. The fact that any book got published at Marvel during the 70s is apparently something of a minor miracle with how disorganized and how messed up everything was. Jerry Conway... It's the 70s uh, in general. (laughs) Jerry Conway talks very openly in this interview I watched with him recently about being editor-in-chief and why he quit (laughs) being editor-in-chief, so... Yeah, apparently the editor-in-chief job became like kind of a hot potato during the 70s where, uh, you know, once Stan gave it up to Roy and then just, you know, nobody wanted to keep it for very long until Jim Shooter came along. So, you know, it just went from hand to hand to hand because apparently it was just totally unappreciated job and, you know, really, you know, you had to work your ass off. I wonder, has there ever been a book about the Shooter era? No, but if you want to read about that, go to his blog because he, uh, oh, he yeah. has many, uh, many an entry on uh, his, uh, especially like him writing the Spider-Man, Superman second crossover and how Paul Levitz allegedly was kind of a dick to him about it. Hmm. So, but I, I think you got to take. I'd read a, What's that? I'm sorry. I was just going to say, if he wrote a, a book about that, I, I would definitely pick that up because I, I do enjoy his uh, his blogs. It's but it's, it seems like some of his recollections, you know, differ greatly from other people's on uh, different issues that come up because uh, there's a lot of contested stuff with him. A lot of people weren't happy with his leadership and, uh, you know, people present him as being kind of the dick and then he presents the other guys as being dicky to him. So who knows? You know, you they always said is the you know the three versions the you know one guy's story the other guy's story and then the truth. So right. Yeah, I imagine the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle, but I don't know. I I I have nothing but uh, but respect for Jim Shooter because you know these guys they can have all the sour grapes and say all the things they want, but you know Mike and I have talked about this several times in the past. You know the trains ran on time when he was in charge, and that 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 meant all the world to me, and I think it shows. I think that's why that era is regarded as as one of the best in comics and definitely one of the best in marvel comics was you know the the shooter era i think there's a reason for that because i think it it stands as you know one of the most uh quality packed eras of marvel i mean there was hardly a bad book coming out under his reign you know at least you know for the for the main body of it anyway yeah, yeah I'd, I, love to, I'd love to read a book about that whole thing. I'm sure it gets into it in this one, you know, later in the book, because, you know, that, that's a pretty significant era. But, uh, you know, like one interesting thing I just passed up was, uh, you know, when they when Jerry Conway killed off Gwen Stacy. And I'm, I'm, I've heard this story from other sources, too, so you guys are probably familiar with it. But basically, you know, he said uh, his initial thought was to kill Aunt May. Right. And... Uh, John Romita suggested that they kill off Gwen Stacy, and then he thought that was brilliant because he said, you know, she's really just a cipher. She's not really even a character. So they mentioned it to Stan, but Stan was so busy, you know, trying to pimp movie deals and TV deals and everything that, you know, it's one of these things where you say it to him and he's not even listening. And he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, do whatever you want. And then uh, he was doing, you know, one of the college tours, and the people were apparently very upset that Gwen was dead. And he said, oh, you know, they, they must have done that behind my back. They, didn't, they, they never told me about it. So Jerry was kind of, you know, pissed off that uh, Stan kind of betrayed him and, you know, made it sound like he was being, uh, you know, sneaky. 
See, I well, got it was, but that's entirely beside the point. I've got a book. I think it's called Comic Wars. It's supposed to be all about you know uh, the events leading up to and through the whole Marvel bankruptcy and all that. And I keep meaning to read it because everybody's a, told me it's a fantastic book, but I've just never made it through it. I've gotten about halfway through it, and there are some evil human beings in this world. <laughs> and that's all I'm. And I'm going to kind of leave it at that. It's just really weird how Marvel Marvel Comics almost went away in the '90s. The fact right. that it's still around is a freaking miracle. Mm-hmm. Well, they've they've come a long way. They're definitely uh, they're not hurting now. That's for sure. They're doing fantastically. Did you have anything else, Paul? Uh, that's that's all I've been reading lately. But uh, just to throw out there, also I have a good friend of mine who's got a uh, a prose novel coming out this week. My friend Dan O'Connor. He's got a book called Sons of the Pope, which is a gangster book in Brooklyn. Which I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but knowing Dan, it's going to be exciting and funny. So. Something to mention, and I'm sure I'll be posting things on Facebook about that as I read it. I like exciting and funny. So <laughs> so, so maybe you'll be up for this one. Yeah. They're, they're running a contest on the, you know, the publisher that's publishing it is running a Facebook contest where each day they're uh, presenting a trivia question either about Brooklyn or about the mob or something like that. And uh, if you win it, you get a Kindle edition of the book. And uh, I won today's contest, so I get a free copy of it. And in addition to the hard copy, I'll buy to have Dan you know, sign for me. Very cool. Chris? So I guess it's down to me. I, I, I've only bought like one new comic recently, and that was Walking Dead 103. But um, I re- Johnny Bueno is in town, and um, a long time ago I bought a Peter Bag comic that was part of a six-issue miniseries, and I only got the first one, and I missed all the rest of them, called Apocalypse Nerd. And he had the <laughs> rest of the title. Apocalypse Nerd. It's great. It's where uh, these two guys are going out to, like, you know, go to the one guy's uncle's hunting cabin and uh, the North Koreans nuke Seattle. And they're just outside Seattle. So, you know, everybody from they're, they're driving home and they're watching everybody f- coming from the city like driving by them. They're like, what's going on? And and, you know, they find out what's going on. And then it's sort of a fight for survival. But it's humorous and cartoony because it's Peter Bag. But it was one of those comics it was a great read but it just kind of ended you know there were when you see a six issue miniseries you sort of figure it would be sort of more of a um tie things up in some way ending but no it just sort of ended the the best thing about it was it had backup stories about the founding fathers that were just dramatizations of their diaries like straight up dramatizations of you know what they were talking about and 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 it was a lot of it was pre-revolutionary war when they were all you know plotting to like separate from britain and it's awesome because there's you know when when it's coming from their diaries they're interacting like real they're bite they're they're backbiting each other and they're just like oh this guy's got an annoying you know, this guy's really annoying. He sucks his teeth all the time, you know, when he's not talking. And yeah, I, I have never understood the, the, the desire of people to want to mythologize the founding fathers. I like the idea that they were just a bunch of regular guys. Well, or, I hear it. Or, or at least, you know, the, the more educated than your standard person at that time, but really that they were just, they as, had, 
it's all the same foibles. Some yeah. of them are like kind of like neurotic and you know did did little weird things or quirky or some of them were really like uptight and other, like you know like there was one of uh, I I want to say it's Aaron Burr, but he accompanied he went to um, France with um, Benjamin Franklin. And as soon as Benjamin Franklin got to France, it was like wine, women, and song. He was literally like had <laughs> no teenage shit. girls like sitting on his lap. And Aaron Burr was like a teetotaling, you know, very, very stern religious man who would like walk in on Thomas Jefferson, who would have like a bottle of wine in each hand and a, and a half naked woman, you know, under each arm and just be like, hey, have some wine. Oh, and like this heathen you know and go back and write in his journal about this heathen animal and stuff like that so it's See, so it's a lot of fun to read that stuff but seeing them in that light it makes you think that the fact that they were able to pull off what they were able to pull off was it's it's even more fantastic mm-hmm. that they were able to do it i look at it you know? this way they had less stuff to distract them you know what I mean? They didn't have all the fun stuff that we have to keep us occupied, so they had time to like be like, let's overthrow the let's overthrow the <laughs> let's queen. overthrow the government. That's yeah, like a- you know, yeah. But, and and who has time to do that with YouTube anymore? You know, I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, and cat tanks. I mean, Jesus. So it was. No, I just I, got I, visions of like Ben Franklin and those guys. Getting like yeah, Call of Duty or something. They rebooted <laughs> the Yellow Kid again. <laughs> I'm not down with this new Yellow Kid, man. It's all fluff. Dude, did you read Jefferson's Declaration of Independence? I mean, the first draft. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he he was just as bad with like punctuation and stuff as any you know tenth grader on the internet. Yeah, he had a proofreader. LOL. But, uh, yeah, it sucks. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> and these truths we hold self-evident and stuff. So yeah. junk. Yeah, and junk. <laughs> so, so, but I heard Lincoln is like that too. I hear people really plainly talk in Lincoln. I hear there's some creative and really salty swearing. You know, in the halls of Congress and the Senate and in just daily life, which is refreshing to to hear. So I, I always like when history is presented like that in a sort of non-romanticized thing. I, I wish it would actually I wish it was the whole book instead of just the backup story, although Apocalypse Nerd is is well worth a read. And I, I guess Johnny Bueno picked him up for like a quarter a copy or something like that. And actually, I had to get number six and I. Ended up getting it off eBay for ninety nine cents with no postage and number three. So they sound like they're really cheap <laughs> if you're looking for them. But that's all I that's all I really had. It's been a it's been a slow slow few comics months for me. It's garage sale season's open. I'm not in the hunting. I don't I don't buy that much new stuff, and I'm not in the hunting grounds anymore. I, uh, before Scott gets to his thing, there is one thing I forgot. I actually had to be an adult today at work. Uh, I know this story. And the words, these words actually came out of my mouth. Ray, put the comic away and get back to work. And the uh, fact that I, of all people, had to tell somebody to put up their Michelangelo Christmas special. It was like the time when I was a doorman and I was like, you guys can't smoke pot in here. 
<laughs> in a room Mike, where, where as a band, I had smoked pot before. <laughs> Mike, you have totally betrayed our people. I yeah, know. I, what happened I, to you, man? You used to be cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> you sold out to the man. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that on. George. It's like that George Thurgood song, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're oh, funny. Man. Everybody's <laughs> funny now. You're funny too. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know, I I can't tell you the last time I bought a comic. I, I'm just, you know, I went digital, and I I don't go to the comic shop anymore. Um, but I got a ground. I just got sick of them. So what's that? I just burned them all to the ground. Everyone <laughs> in the area just lit on fire and walked away. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but no, I got on a, it was weird. I don't, I don't really know how this happened other than, you know, I, I loved, I, I've been loving the Marvel movies and I love the Avengers. And, you know, they, they made the announcement recently of all the, you know, basically the, the phase two, the next wave of movies that we're going to be getting looking forward to all of them. But there's one that they announced that I just looked at and I was like, I just, I don't know anything about this. And that was the guardians of the galaxy one. Now I know the, who the old guardians of the galaxy were, you know, peripherally I'd read, you know, different stories with them, mostly in like the Avengers or stuff where they would pop up in there. But there was that image that they released that uh, it's one of those concept art uh, images. And I'm just looking at this picture going, I I know individually who all these people are. You know, there was like Drax the Destroyer, which looks totally different than the Drax I remember with his goofy purple outfit. There was Star-Lord who didn't look a thing like the Star-Lord I remembered with John Byrne. There was Rocket Raccoon, um, Groot who I just got a kick out of because I used to own Groot. the very first comic with Groot, Groot, which was, I think it was an issue of uh, Tales of Suspense, if I'm not mistaken. I used to own that, and it was one of the very first comics I ever sold on eBay. Um, and there's one or two other characters in that image that I just looked at and go, I, you know, I, I kind of know who they are, but who are the, these guys aren't the Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, how, how did they become a team? Why are they going to be the next... Marvel property. I just didn't quite get it. You know, it just seemed to me like there were a million other characters or teams that you'd want to get to first right after the big success of the Avengers. So I've been thinking about this for a while and and it just kept kind of eating at me that I, you know, that this movie is going to come out and I really don't know what the deal is with it. So I finally broke down and, and got a hold of basically everything that leads up to um, Guardians of the Galaxy. And it basically starts with, uh, with uh, this Thanos series that was out a while ago and then runs through all these mini-series. Um, the Annihilation books? Yeah, yes. the Anni- basically leading into the whole Annihilation thing. Now, I had heard about this when it was coming out. I mean, I, I realized that, you know, this is kind of old news for anybody else that, you know, had been into this thing from the ground floor and everything. But I just I was never interested in it because it dealt with Marvel Cosmic. I am just not a cosmic guy, you know, whether it's Marvel, whether it's DC is as big as of a science fiction fan as I am. 
I'm pretty narrowed in in my likes of science fiction. It pretty much falls down to Star Wars and Star Trek and a few other scattered properties, but pretty much just those two. I've never really gone for the more cosmic-y type of sci-fi. I'm more with, you know, with Star Wars, it's more like space fantasy. With Star Wars, it's or Star Trek, rather, it's more like space opera. But the truly cosmic-y stuff just loses me. I'm just not interested in it. But I really, again, I wanted to know what the deal was with these Guardians, so I, I decided to sit down and read this, and I found a, a great resource for basically a reading order, a reading list, for, first of all, of like, here's what you need to get up to speed, but also it came with like a reading list, like an order of, all right, here's the books to get, but here's how to read them and, and what's going on, and uh so, you know, after the, the Thanos uh, story arc, you know, you go straight into the, all the Annihilation minis that lead into the actual Annihilation event. And then after that, there was a sequel called Annihilation Conquest and a whole slew of books that spun out of that. And then, you know, it was just event upon event upon event, which, again, is another trope of modern comics that I don't like is the constant event syndrome. It, it doesn't really... There's not really like an ongoing narrative anymore so much as it's just event, you know, an event back to back to back. I really don't like that. So this sounds like it's a recipe for me just hating it. I love it. I have been digging this. I'm uh, somewhere in the middle of Realm of Kings right now. And uh, I got to tell you, for as much as I just do not get into the whole cosmic thing, I've gotten sucked into this. I've gotten sucked into this to a point where I may be anticipating Guardians of the Galaxy more than any of the others at this point. Because if they do it half as well as this series is being written, it's going to be great stuff. Now, is, and is Realm of the Kings things... the one when, uh, well, that's with the Inhumans, right? Right, yeah. Is that the uh -huh. one when Maximus is talking to Groot? Yes. Because I yes. think that was one of the funniest things. You know, Groot only says, I am Groot. I am Groot, yeah. And no one, you know, everybody just kind of takes that and just walks away. And when Maximus is there and he says, I am Groot, and, you know, Maximus looks at him and says, really, do you think so? And then, you know, he'll <laughs> say, I am Groot again and say, really, that's an interesting theory. And like they're having this whole conversation, but all he ever says is, I am Groot. What I loved about that was that at one point, the other characters looked at each other and like, he's out of his mind. <laughs> and Maximus explains to him that, no, Groot is speaking this like with you know, if he can actually hear different inflections in the way that Groot says I am Groot and that there's actually a language in the inflections that he can actually hear and what I loved about that was that they never do come right out and say whether he's out of his mind or that's really real. They leave it to your interpretation of which what the truth actually is, because nobody else can hear this. Everybody else just hears I am Groot. But apparently he hears something in there. And I liked that. And it's, there seemed like there was enough plausibility in it one way or the other that it was a lot of fun to just leave it open ended, whether it was real or not. I, I thought that was fantastic. But well, see, you know, I, I totally always... read it as, as that he was understanding what he was saying. And uh but just it was just kind of funny, like you said, the way everybody was looking at him, like you know, what what the hell? But uh, you know, it, when when he's written at his best, it's like every you know, like most characters, it's a little ambiguous as to whether he's totally insane or just so brilliant that nobody else understands him. 
what I what I really have found most enjoyable about this is that ninety nine percent of it is written by uh, uh, Andy Lanning and uh, oh, what's Dan the other Abnett. guy's name? Dan Abnett. And I love those guys. I mean, they they are a really solid comic book team. They write some really great comics, and they've written just about everything in this. And it's just it's really solid comics. It's a lot of fun. And I've always been a fan of kind of like the team of freaks. You know, you get all these disparate characters that you would never imagine would ever come together or even know each other, throw them into the mix on a team and just see how they work. And I like that. And what's been fun with this. <laughs> Sound <is> that, familiar? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much so. And uh, it, it's really fantastic stuff. I highly recommend it. And uh, I never thought that I would because it has been recommended to me now for several years because this series goes back. I think the first Annihilation series was like around 2004 or something like 2006. that. 2006. Annihilation really kicked off right around the time Civil War was taking off. Right, right. And it for me at the time, I kind of read everything right after the first Annihilation wave went through. And... To me, it was like, if you weren't digging Civil War, if you hated absolutely everything that was going on with Civil War, read this, and you'll be a happy Marvel reader. Right. And I'll tell you what, it it works on that level. It really does, because I ended up jumping ship from Marvel right about that time uh, of Civil War. And so now, you know, of course, I'm reading it many years later, but I definitely get that feel from it because one of the most exciting things, once I finally got over my hangup with this being Marvel Cosmic and actually embraced that part of it, that's one of the things I found that I've really liked is that Earth is not connected to this. So you're not getting burned out with you know everything being resolved by Wolverine and, and Spider-Man's got a guest star in every book. I mean, it yeah. doesn't have any of those guys. It's dealing strictly with you know, the cosmic characters. I mean, one of the best uh, uh, segments of the whole thing uh, heavily involves uh, Silver Surfer and Galactus, who are always a lot of fun when they're handled properly. And in this one, they're handled spectacularly because yes. they're they're written to truly be that cosmic level, in this case, threat that they really should be. They should awe you. And they really do in this, and uh, and I I've just been blown away with it. I'm I'm so impressed with the writing on it. It's uh, it's really solid stuff, and the artwork's fantastic too. What I mm-hmm. loved about the because I didn't read beyond it just because you all can probably relate to this. You get you you're like really really into something. You get to the end of it and you don't have the sequel right away, and then something comes along and distracts you. Right. And then you just never go back to it just because, you know, there's a billion other things to read. But what I loved about it is that it had this really strong cosmic calamity opening. It was like Crisis on Infinite Earths level, you know, crap going down. Right. And it made me give a crap about the Nova Corps. And then you follow it through these four miniseries. And my favorite of that was the Super Scroll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really good. I just... Oh man, that was, was I was just like eating that book up because I had never given two craps about the Super Scroll. He was always the guy John Byrne brought in, you know, to be just like the big badass. Um, right. 
and all that. I mean, it was an interesting concept, but here we actually have somebody dealing with him. He had that 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 sidekick character that was just like, what the hell's going on here? But yeah, that Silver Surfer one, when the surfer makes the decision he makes, that mm-hmm. is a legitimate holy shit moment. Right. Because you're just like, that changes everything on the cosmic scale. But with, with the, so. the Super Scroll and with Ronin, they took two yeah. characters who've been around forever and had no personalities whatsoever after 40 years of being around, and they actually fleshed them out and made them real characters that had backstories, and, and they were three-dimensional, and, and they were interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just tremendous writing. It, it really is. I mean, this is a series that proves to me that, um, you know, it, it's going back to that old thing of there's there's no bad characters, only bad writers. I mean, there are so many characters in this that prior to reading any of this stuff, I just didn't give a crap about. A, a great one, a perfect example is the Inhumans. I have always thought that the Inhumans sucked, but they're actually interesting for the first time in this series, and I'm really curious to see where things are going. But, I mean, the entire arc is just chock full of characters and concepts that I just never ever imagined myself in a million years caring the least little bit. You know, I mean, you've got like Nova. I mean, Nova during this part, you know, portion of the story, it's a must read title. It's fantastic. It's really, really good stuff. Uh, even the dark horse, uh, dark Hawk, uh, uh, segment of the story. Uh, again, another character that I've always found laughable. I always thought, Oh, dark Hawk, you know, he's right up there with like sleepwalker and characters like that. I mean, I won't say he's the most engaging part of the story, but it's it's good. I mean, it's it's still good stuff. You know, but that's I mean, I think that's really fascinating when you can take so many characters that a guy like me just goes, I don't want to read that and and make it to where, wow, you know, you know what? I really do want to read this. I actually care about characters like like Crystal and Ronan and Nova. For the first time, I mean, really, they've really become fully flushed out characters, and I, I just think that's awesome. It, it's been really, really good. And the point that I'm in it right now, one of the characters that stepped right into the forefront and is really playing a, a very big and a very dynamic role is a character I've always wanted more of, who's uh, Gladiator. And uh, oh, I love doing with him. Gladiator if, kicks all the ass. I mean, he's, have he's... you read? Have you read to that point in the story? No, Mike? no, I have. You gotta but... keep going, buddy, because you would. I'm telling you, you'd like it. It's it's really well, good. He's Superboy. Yeah, I mean, and they play to that. Who he is? So yep. that that that's great. I mean, because the the Shi'ar the the Shi'ar warriors or whatever they were the called. Imperial Guard. The Imperial Guard was just the Legion of Superheroes done. Yeah, done in Marvel. So yeah. <laughs> They play right to that in this in this story arc. That's what I really like about it is is they finally stopped, you know, pussyfooting around. And I mean, he's Superboy, and they're the Legion, and that's just how they play with him in, in the context of it being Marvel Cosmic, and it's fantastic stuff. I mean, it's really really odd because every time, you know, they have to unleash Gladiator, it's just like, oh my god, you know, it's on now. <laughs> and it's, it's, it gives me everything I want in comics. You know, it, it's big, over-the-top battles and action and uh, and big stories, you know, big ideas. And it, it's just been phenomenal stuff. I'm really curious as to where it's heading from here. 
But uh, it's it's got me pumped for the Guardians movie. There's uh, there's only one thing that they could uh, that they could do to this that I think would make it better. But I'm going to hold off on that until we get to our Freaky Five segment because it, it kind of dovetails nicely, I think. Um, the only other thing I've got is we got emails, and I'm Yay! really because I've been putting out the call for a while now for uh, for emails, and we've had some folks that have been answering that call. Um, while I'm thinking about it, I hope you don't uh, mind me calling you out right on the air here, Mike. But I gotta call you out, buddy. Uh-huh. Where is that back to the bins file? Because we have a wonderful uh, on email. On my computer. <laughs> We got a wonderful my- email from Chris uh, Chris McGee, who I, I won't read it here, but we need to get uh, some more uh, Back to the Bins out because uh, he's uh, got nothing but nice things to say about the show, and uh, and I'm anxious to read his email, so we need to to get that out there because he, he basically says that it's his uh, favorite portion of, uh, of the Two True Freaks Network and praising us up and down and... That was the last episode that came out, so I want to give Chris more of what he's looking for. And and he's absolutely right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Did I say <laughs> that out loud? Not prejudiced at all. Um, we also got one from uh, Chris Cabot uh, talking, asking us uh, if and when Tails is coming back. And uh, we'll just say we, Mike and I, we're we're in the negotiating phase on that. We're trying to figure out a way to uh, see this. This is the problem with the Demonzo Corps as an organization is that they gave both Scott and I lawyers, and Scott and I are not allowed to directly talk. <laughs> I don't know why that is. And our lawyers don't like each other. And we constantly like, why don't you just let us hash this shit out? And you know, you know, Dufo, you know, he's just, you know, he just says something incomprehensible with a thick Italian accent and, uh, you know, tries to send me another prostitute. So (laughs) I I really don't know what's going on there. But, but, you know, Scott and I are trying to work it out. I cut a bad deal with my Demanza Corp lawyer. And the only thing I'm allowed to say about my Demanza Corp lawyer is what I just said, and I'm not allowed to say anything else. <laughs> um, Chris, this will be your audio cue right here. We got a couple of uh, emails sending uh-huh. us promos. So we have a promo now to play for uh, How to Make a Geek. God, Johnny, I know nothing about comics. Do I have a solution for you? Hmm, riddle me your solution, good sir. Do you know what a podcast is, Knox? What? A podcast. It's like a radio show, but it's on the internet, and people talk about things. Don't say. Well, here's my thought. What if we did a podcast about geek stuff? Genius! Right? So, here's my thought. I bring some sort of geek thing to the table, we both read or watch it, then we cover it from my perspective of being a geek my whole life, and your perspective of, well, not. I like it. I like it a lot. Alright. But what shall we call this podcast of ours? I think I've got it. How to make a geek in 60 minutes. How to make a geek in 60 minutes. With Knox Van Horn and Johnny Fravel. Ah. And for uh, Stephen Lacey's uh, Fantastic Forecast, which uh, everybody tells me is awesome. I really have been meaning to give that a listen to, and I just hadn't got around to it yet. It but, is awesome. Uh, Stephen Lacey and uh, Andy Leyland do, uh, do that show, and I hear it's awesome. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. 
penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. Or soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him until it has been drained of all elemental life. So, speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Forecast, ffcast.libsyn.com. It is awesome. The most recent one Mike was on, and that was really good. Actually, I'm on all this month because they split it into four episodes. Oh, did they? Oh, well, cool. The part one was out already, and that was really good. So I've been asked to be on that show, but the problem is that the only stuff I'd really want to be on is is burn and that's going to take them like 50 years to get to that so but if i'm still alive i'm in, i'm still interested so um but anyway talking about uh emails uh comics monthly monday proper here our first one is from jonathan kreitz and he did send me another <laughs> pronunciation guide so i know now that i'm pronouncing his name correctly this is in regards to comics monthly monday number 44 he writes he says continuing to respond to your pleas for more email he says here are my thoughts and questions from comics monthly monday number 44 and i just realized i need my glasses uh-huh. <laughs> shut up he says i thought I, I thought i read this before uh but i thought you know that scott Aaron... that means you have to stop you know because you don't <laughs> want to go completely blind so once you get to the glasses, exactly i thought it just meant you were going to grow Mom. hair though <laughs> He says, I thought I read this before, but I thought the Iron Patriot in Iron Man 3 was a red herring. Or is that character actually in the movie? Um, you probably know this by now, Jonathan, but from everything I'm seeing, it looks like he's actually in the movie. He's War Machine. War Machine. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. So, so I think it's the armor, but yeah, different, basically a different character, but with the same armor, I guess. Yeah, because they're not going to put Norman Osborn in the Iron Man. Right. <laughs> well, they don't he even says, have the rights uh, to Norman Osborn. No, right, so. yeah. He says, speaking of the Disney 10K, and I'm not sure when we were speaking about that, but he says, speaking of the Disney 10K or half marathon or whatever it was, I just completed, uh, competed rather, in my first triathlon last Sunday. It was tough, and while uh, uh, I misunderestimated <laughs> the amount of prep needed, I still had a great time and finished just two minutes behind my goal. 
Huh. Scott, right. when are you doing your triathlon? I heard you were working. <laughs> when I'm being chased by a pissed off bear driving a tractor trailer. <laughs> I, I, I always go back to uh, Val Kilmer and Real Genius when William Atherton asks him if he runs, he goes only when chased. Yes, so. exactly. Yes. <laughs> if I'm on fire, I run in circles with my hands in the air. Yes. <laughs> uh, or if you, or if you read something from the New Fifty Two. Oh. Oh God. <laughs> 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 oh no, you didn't. <laughs> he concludes with finally, I listened to the episode of Views from the Long Box referenced in this episode. And I think that was the catharsis episode, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Yeah. He says, an interesting conversation that answered a lot of my questions about why Mike and Scott are bent out of shape about Superman in DC. Before listening to that, I knew y'all considered uh, Burn Superman gone. But now it's better to explain why. What I would like to hear now is a follow-up episode touching on a lot of the same topics. Your conversation was prescient in talking about more reboots, e-readers, and the like. And you know, he's got me curious to both go back and re-listen to that episode, but also maybe take his advice. Maybe we need to do another one. I'm not sure. I, I don't think it would be nearly as... Um, as venomous as the original but i don't know recently i did a a getting off my chest episode that Mm. was kind of in that vein but it was it it kind of shows um and it's really interesting andy leyland actually pointed this out in an email too of how much i've just calmed down over the last couple of years uh compared to me in like 2008 and 2009 when i was you know like telling everyone to go fuck themselves basically and I, having said that I've done something like that, I would like to do some, I would like to go over that material with you mainly because one, it would be fun to do a follow-up to it. And two, it would be fun to do that follow-up just to see where you and I are in relation to all of that, you know, has some of that stuff come to pass Right. Is, is it still relevant to be angry about it now that they've changed everything? You know, I, I'm intrigued by the idea and I'm not saying, that, you know, no, because I, I like the idea. I wonder, though, if ultimately the way I think it would come off wouldn't ultimately prove disappointing to those that would go in expecting another classic rant because I'm yeah. really trying not to do yeah, that me too. anymore. You know yeah, what I me mean? too. It's, it's I've just, really tried to change that image. Yeah, you don't want to be that guy. You can't be that guy all the time. Right. Because... <laughs> well, like the thing is... You don't have to be that guy all the time, but it's... But the, th- but the thing is, is that... And Scott gets this worse than I do. I feel bad for Scott on this, as a matter of fact. People want to whine to see... (laughs) I don't want to get off on a rant here, but the anti's establishmentarianism. Um, No, people want to whine Scott up all the time, and I see it on Facebook, and it pisses me off. Because I'm just like, guys, don't don't poke the bear through the cage. Right. You're going to get the claw. I spent a lot of time being really upset Ah. about that. You know, just why, you know, just feeling that exactly that way. Like, why are you trying to wind me up? But ultimately, I I come to see that in its own way, 
it, it's kind of flattering. It, it, it's because evidently I said something that uh, either they really liked or they found really humorous or they found really ridiculous to the point of amusement or something to that effect. Something in there they were entertained by. So I, I get that. And, and again, that's very flattering. But it's just... I, I don't... That's not how I want to be thought of or remembered as a podcaster is just oh here's that guy that went off on these crazy rants because no I, I i could be dead wrong about this but in my estimation i'm thinking that's maybe you know 10 percent of everything i've ever done and if that's what i'm remembered for that bothers me because it means that the other stuff is just kind of sloughed off you know and and the other stuff to me is so much more important i i'd really rather continue to to buck against that perception and change that perception by by continuing to try to be more positive and, and really bring the love to the things that I, I truly love than just be remembered as the guy that just flies off the handle and, and bitches and moans about everything because eventually that's going to play out you know or eventually somebody else is going to come along and do the same thing and be better at it because they can keep it fueled and keep it going I, I can't you know it's I've said my piece People know what I like and what I don't like, and I'd rather spend my time talking about the things that I like than keep continuing to read. Because also, you know, of no small consideration is the fact that the stuff that I've complained about, the stuff that I don't like, now it's out of my system. Now I'm done with it. I mean, I didn't see the last Batman film, and I won't. I I just, I have no interest. The, The Superman thing that's coming up, I really don't have any interest. It just does not look like a movie I'm going to enjoy. So rather than go to it, and then spend the next couple of years ranting and raving and tearing it down and giving all the reasons why I think it's stupid and I don't like it and blah, blah, blah. Why don't I just do the smart thing and save my money and just go to something I'm going to enjoy? Um, and same thing with the new Star Trek movie. I've seen the trailer. I'm really not interested. So again, rather than invest all that time and energy and, and anger and everything into something that's just going to frustrate me, I'll save my money and I'll wait for you know the next big thing. By the way, I... I I can't believe I forgot to mention this before now. Just real quick. Guys, if you have not seen Wreck-It Ralph, that movie is fantastic. You got to go see it. See it while it's in theaters. You won't regret it. Wreck-It Ralph, fantastic movie. Everything that I was wanting from a Tron sequel. It's a, it's a great, great movie. So definitely check it out. Anyway, uh, see if I can get back to... Uh, Letters. Back to letters here. Yeah, Jonathan, uh, he just wrapped it up saying, uh, good stuff overall. He said, Chris's reaction to the crazy Silver Age uh, book was was spot on. He says, keep up the good work. And that's from Jonathan Kreitz. Our next one up is from, and I sure hope I'm pronouncing this right, Mike Voiles. Uh, It's just entitled Comics Monthly Monday. He says, hi, guys. He says, I just listened to Comics Monthly Monday number 44. And thought I would send you some comments. He says, I'm glad you are back on format and talking about actual comic books. I know that you have diverse interests, movies, animation, etc. But I always prefer uh, prefer, hearing about good old-fashioned comic books. My favorite part of this episode was Chris's review of the Lois Lane comic. I know the Silver Age is corny and downright weird at times, but I still dig it. I am the proud owner of a nearly complete run of Lois Lane. I'm only missing issue number two. I have read every single one of them. Lucky you. (laughs) My therapist even told me that I may eventually be able to leave this room with padded walls. 
Then she gave me some green pills. I think they are kryptonite <laughs> to keep me from breaking out of the straitjacket. I prefer the little blue pills, but everyone thinks, uh, but everyone likes those, right? Well, except maybe Bizarro. I wish you continued success with the show. Regards, this is from Mike Voiles of Mike's Amazing World of Comics. And I thought that was fantastic that, uh, that Mike took Mike's the time. Mike's a great guy. Yeah, he really is. He really is. And his site, once again, is uh, it's www.mikesamazingworld.com. Which uh, was originally was uh, I believe it was Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, but it's now expanded to incorporate uh, Marvel, Charlton, um, a whole bunch of different companies. It is one awesome, awesome comic book site that you can literally get lost in for hours. So definitely check it out. It is it is a great site? And he had a P- uh, PS here. He says. Should I be concerned that as I get older, I am starting to be shaped more like the Perisphere and less like the Trilon? He says, Tails, Tails, wherefore art thou Tails? I know. Um, Real quick here, just as a a reminder to myself within the episode, we got an email here from somebody that just identifies himself as Rick. He says, Scott, I found, found this and thought you might be interested. And it was a link he sent me to an archive of the old Superman radio series. And uh, he says to share it with you, Mike, in case uh, you don't have these. I wasn't sure if you did. And I will send you that link so you can check uh, it I out. I got them. It's so tiny here, and the, and the print is weird in this print, you know, how this printed off. I can't quite read the uh, the link. But anyone that's interested, let me know, and I'll, uh, I'll provide you with the link to that. Last email for this episode is from our good buddy, Tom Panarese. Woohoo! And- and this is in regards to uh, the last Comics Monthly Monday. This one's entitled Comics Monthly Monday number 45, Confunk. He says, hello, freaks. I'm in the middle of the latest Comics Monthly Monday and just finished up your awesome discussion of Confunk. Having attended a con for the first time last year, I wanted to say uh, again that the advice... I got over at the forums as I prepped to go was invaluable and I had a great time. Plus you've already given me great advice for next year as George Perez is already scheduled for the Baltimore comic con. And he's one of my, he says, quote unquote, must have signatures. Oh, and people who bring short boxes on carts as if they're uh, carry on luggage for an airplane and not comics. Uh, they're having signed must stop. I'd like to add another piece of advice to the avoiding confunk discussion. Showering and deodorant are obviously the best ways to avoid the funk, but if you happen to be attending a con in hot weather, I'd recommend bringing an extra shirt. Yes, I, I took that advice myself. I did that uh, at the conventions I went to. That's, that's actually a really, really good idea because, you know, you can go fully showered and, you know, wearing your deodorant and everything, but, you know, still, if it's hotter than hell in there... No matter how clean and, and you know cognizant you are of your of your hygiene and your stank, I mean if you're sweating, you're gonna you know you're gonna get nasty. So yeah, bringing an extra shirt, you know, we've not a bad idea. Talked about collaborating on a book. Maybe we should just do a con hygiene book. <laughs> I think you that know, should be no, a no, no, one chapter of a much larger tome. No, that's the thing: is the Two True Freaks Guide to Collecting Comics is a book that needs to be written. I, yeah, you know, I'm because, down for that. Because here's the thing. You can't talk about collecting comics like you would like 20 years ago. When it was still, right. like, like through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, collecting comics was pretty formulaic. You could read a book written in the 70s on collecting comics, and the stuff still applies going on in the 90s. 
The 2000s changed everything. eBay changed everything in terms of buying back issues and the worth of comics and all that. So what would be kind of fun, and do it in a kind of tongue-in-cheek style, but still trying to impart some actual information and, like, some right. good advice. But I think it's just, like, you know, the whole thing of, like, eBay. Yes, you can find it cheaper here. Uh, you know, as, like, an entire chapter on buying comics on eBay. Because ten I like... Oh, I'm what? sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like, you know, I, of course, I'm always thinking, you know, grand scale. So I was actually thinking something like the Two True Freaks Guide to Life. But that's a little too big. So maybe <laughs> Two True Freaks Guide to Nerd Life. I like that idea. Okay, here's how you get laid. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, can't, no, no, really, that's really a chapter. I think that you know. I think that's a brilliant idea. I'll draw a picture of the clitoris for him too. <laughs> you have to see that's one first. Huh? Myth. Myth. Yeah. Oh, a running gag. Oh, okay. So continuing with Tom's uh, letter. Is that like a ball gag? Bring <laughs> out the gimp. <laughs> the day I attended Baltimore Con was extremely hot, easily in the low 80s, uh, early in the morning. Uh-oh. Dude, it's... <laughs> Never mind, I'm not going to... Uh, <laughs> reaching the mid-90s... You know, <laughs> well-versed in the basics of hygiene, I was a sweaty, disgusting mess by the time I went to lunch. Fortunately, I brought a T-shirt... Uh, that I intended to have sign that allowed me to not smell like a monkey's taint when I met with some of my friends for lunch at a nearby bar. Hey, it begs the question, how does he know what a monkey's taint smells like? <clears throat> well, hmm. you know, you in college that you don't talk about later. If you go to Wait. the zoo, the monkeys try their best to share that smell with you. So. Get your get your taint off me, you damn dirty ape. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he says, as always, I'm enjoying the podcast. Thanks for another great episode, Tom. He says, P.S. I have a student-led discussion. Uh, or, excuse me. I had a student-led discussion today on some uh, on some reading in one of my English classes. I can't read tonight. <clears throat> the way they... some English clashes, I hear. He <laughs> says, I had a student-led discussion today on some reading in one of my English classes. <laughs> the way they were presenting sounded exactly like Chris reading goddamn superhero. <laughs> and I honestly had to stop myself from laughing. <laughs> to you has contributed to my professionalism. And that's that's made my day, man. Uh, <laughs> I do want to mention... Uh, before we forget to, Tom has not only a blog called Pop Culture Affidavit, which you can find at popcultureaffidavit.com, he's got two podcasts he's doing now. One is called Taking Flight, a Robin and Nightwing podcast, where he's going through the history of Dick Grayson from the start of New Teen Titans all the way up till he leaves the Titans in the mid-90s. And right now he's in the middle of a lonely place of dying. He's doing I a great job. Look to listening to that show. I, I haven't yet just because I'm trying to get caught up on another show, but as soon as I am, 
I'm digging into that because I'm real. I love his trailer for that. And I'm really anxious to dig into it. Holy nightmare! So we all know who Robin is, right? Short pants, bad holy insert object gear jokes, kind of weird relationship with an older man who dresses like a bat. I know, right? So not what Batman needs. Thing is, if that's your impression of Robin, then you don't know Robin. I'm Tom Panneries, and for most of my comic collecting career, I've been a Teen Titans fan. Moreover, I've been a huge fan of Robin and Nightwing, so I've decided to take a look at those who have worn the costume in a podcast miniseries called Taking Flight. Taking Flight focuses on the life and career of Dick Grayson as he evolved from Boy Wonder to Nightwing. I'll take a look at his origin story, his time with the Teen Titans, and his evolution into Nightwing. Along the way, I'll also look at Jason Todd and Tim Drake, stopping right after Zero Hour when Dick left the Titans behind. Episodes will come out just about every week at takingflight.podomatic.com, and you can find show notes at popcultureaffidavit.com. Join me as I take a look at Comic Dumb's most famous sidekick, who is a vital part of Batman's mythos. Teenage Anarchist! He uh, he also does a show, a monthly show called Pop Culture Affidavit, and every episode is about a different aspect of pop culture. The first one was about his experiences at the Baltimore Comic Con, but the second one was all about it, Stephen King's It, the book and the movie. And la- last month, the episode just landed like a week or two ago. It was all about November Rain by Guns N' Roses, the song, <laughs> and the video, and all that. The event. So, yeah, so he's... Tom and I had the same childhood. We've come to this conclusion, because he will talk about something online, uh, like on Facebook, and I'll be like, I saw the same damn thing. Like on the same channel, even. So... I have nothing but good things to say about Tom. I'm just so excited he's jumped into the podcasting arena. And apparently that brought the show to a halt. I can can back you up on that, though, because I've listened to his shows and they're excellent. Pop Affidavit sounds right up my alley. Especially for me, I've been a big Stephen King fan since the mid-70s. So when he did the It episode, I really enjoyed that. And he nailed that book. He just top to bottom covered it great. He didn't talk about the one thing that you don't talk about with that book, though. So, No one ever talks about the fact that at the end of that book, all those kids have sex with each other at age 12. Was that wrong? (laughs) (laughs) And then the FBI kicks in his door. Benson and Stabler break in. (laughs) Would you have a seat, please, Mr. Spataro? Um... Well, you know, uh, when I was a 12-year-old kid, and if there was a 12-year-old girl that wanted to have sex with me, I would have done it and not felt illegal. (laughs) It would have probably been weird. It it would have been way ahead of schedule. (laughs) But... Yeah, it's a little creepy. There's a lot... I mean, the whole book is about an evil clown. There's got to be underage sex I was still way too into chasing a full set of the Empire Strikes Back trading cards to even think about that at that time. I got to be honest with you. I'm... I'm, uh... I'm waiting until he writes the sequel, except it's Elmo now. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, I can feel a major tangent coming on, so I'm going to corral this right now. We all float. It is time for the Freaky Five. And this time around, our subject is the top five characters that you think deserve their own movie. So, who do we want to go? Who wants to start this one off? Bueller. Bueller. Uh, okay, I'll start I, I, it off. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, Paul. Bueller. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll start off. I, I got to tell you, when I started thinking about this, I had two misses right off the bat. Because the first thing that came to mind was Why the Last Man. Because they, they had mm-hmm. talked about I that for a long time. I thought about that, too. But... I really think that would be better served as a TV series, not unlike The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think you couldn't do it justice in a two- or three-hour movie, so I had to abort that one. Then, unlike Scott, I've always liked The Inhumans, and I thought about them, but I thought if, if they ever made a movie of them, they'd screw it up royally, so that, that would be terrible, and they shouldn't do it. So I started really thinking about this, and I've for a long time, I know, Scott, you and I have had conversations about this where i've said it's a mistake to make every superhero movie into a blockbuster to to, you know do a mega budget and and try and make these huge summer movies out of every single one of them that i i think what they should do is they should certainly have those there's no no question about it but they should also make some smaller movies where really what they're worrying about is the script and try and present some, you know, some real character movies. And, you know, you could work in your action, but you don't have to have your huge special effects. And essentially what I started thinking was it would be nice to set it up as kind of a secondary universe tied into the universe that they've already created, but more of a street level one. And mm-hmm. the character that I would open that up with is Iron Fist. I think you can make a yeah. kick-ass Iron Fist movie. You could start it off with him going to Kunlun the same way they did in the original series. Uh, and, and, you know, as, as a kid where he's going up there with his parents and his parents get killed and he ends up there and he trains and you can, you can make basically the first half of the movie, his whole training up there and then have him come to New York city where he's basically a stranger in a strange land and work from there. And it, it doesn't have to be a mega budget movie. Uh, and, and I think it, it can build on itself too, because you could make that and from there you can make a power man movie and then you could have a power man and iron fist movie. I was just uh, going to say the same thing. Yeah, I think that'd be a brilliant move to to plan for a, at least a trilogy, and have it be you know one movie Iron Fist, one movie Power Man, and then another you know a third movie that brings them together as the team. I think that'd be fantastic, man. I'd 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 shell out for that. And you could also work Daredevil into that universe now that they have the rights to him again. So you know. Oh, you do could, they? Yeah, that that uh, they had announced they were going to do a new Daredevil movie. And they didn't make it in time, and then they were negotiating, and apparently the negotiations were that they were going to give Marvel back somebody from the Fantastic Four, and I always kind of thought it was the Silver Surfer. But those right, th- those negotiations fell through, and they never made the Daredevil movie, so Daredevil's now back in the Marvel stable. Hmm. So, you know, they've already made a Daredevil movie, so obviously that's not one of my freaky five. But I, I, I go with Iron Man on that, and I like, I mean, not Iron Man, Iron Fist on that. And uh, and I like I said I think it could be the whole start of a secondary, you know, smaller budget, not low budget, but smaller budget tier of movies where you're not risking quite as much when you're making them. And and you know if if you have a successful one, 
you know, the profits are going to be that much more because your investment is smaller. Right. So that, that's my number one. Number two, I thought Morbius the Living Vampire could be very cool. <laughs> uh, you know, you, I mean, obviously the vampire movies in general are, are popular, but this, you know, you could tie it together with science because technically he's really not a vampire. He's more of a scientific vampire. Uh, I just always thought the character was pretty cool in general. And I think you could, you know, they can make a really good movie out of that. I don't have a lot to go on that one, though. Uh, my number three was Firestorm. I, you know, I think like with Ghost Rider, they already showed us that uh, they could do the flaming head. And it can yeah. make it look pretty cool. Uh, you know, that the biggest problem, and, and I've said it so many times, the biggest problem is the story. Uh, and I think you can see, you know, with every one of these movies, especially since I'm talking, like I said, lower budget, they really have to emphasize the script. They gotta, they gotta really push to put something together that's gonna, you know, that's gonna play really well. And I think Firestorm could be a very cool character to do that with. If they took that all the way back and made it, you know, Stein and Ronnie Raymond, maybe even made it an '80s piece and tried to make it feel like it was taking place in the '80s, maybe even give it sort of a John Hughes type feel. I'd yeah, be all over that. I, I think could, that'd be I could phenomenal. I totally see that. Yeah. When you say John Hughes, are you talking like really lighthearted or, you know, almost, almost like borderline yeah, comedy? Almost kind of not comedy, not not necessarily a comedy, that, but that, just with that that teen group, you know, group John dynamic. Hughes, yeah, I mean, uh, John Hughes was phenomenal on on capturing what it really felt like to be a, a, a high school age teenager, like Ferris Bueller, for all of its fanciful elements. That movie really nailed how I felt you know, as a teenager during that time period. So I think if you could, you know, of course, John Hughes has passed away now, but if you could find somebody that, that had that talent that could really hit that beat, you know, and, and set it and, and make it, um, I mean, I don't know that you necessarily have to make it a period piece. I, I just, I've always, I, I won't say always, but in recent times I, i've kind of developed this this feeling that there's certain comic book characters that i think one of the big reasons i may not like their big screen uh interpretations as much is that i feel like certain characters are rooted in the era in which they were created that's why i'd really love to see a spider-man movie set in the 60s i think the same thing kind of works for me when it comes to firestorm because there was something there's something intrinsically 80s to me about Firestorm. I don't I don't I can't put my finger on it, but every time I think of Firestorm, I just I instantly think like 1984. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just something about that character. So I think if you were if you could place it in that world and, and really hit that that Ferris Bueller button, I think it would really work. And, I, and again, I'm not talking comedy, just the, the feel of of teenage angst or well, not angst, but you know what I mean? Just the, the teenage world. And, and, and I don't know I, if I'm explaining myself very well, but you know what I mean. But I definitely agree with you that it, it definitely has to be the teen presentation. You know, I don't want a twenty-something. Right. Uh, you know, I want I want a high school student, and I want him to look like a high school student. And the Ronnie Raymond aspect of it is is really important too, because Ronnie Raymond is not Peter Parker. He's in fact he's the opposite. He's Flash Thompson. You know, he he's the he's the high school jock who you know people make fun of for not being as smart as he could be and whatever, and and you know you you basically showing the other side of the coin and I, I think that's 
really important and key to the character. So I think you know you really got to stick with that teenage thing. You know, I, you I don't... really just blew my mind right now because you know I was gonna say that I I've always felt that Ronnie Raymond more than any other character because I know that Marvel in particular really really tried to recapture the magic of of Spider-Man and and especially his Peter Parker dynamic with um with Nova in his first go around. And I never felt like it really worked. I, I didn't feel like they were entirely successful. And I was going to say, I felt, I feel like the only time that anybody has ever really recaptured Peter Parker in that superhero dynamic was Firestorm. But you know what? You're absolutely right. He's not Peter Parker. You're absolutely right. He is Flash Thompson. It never really occurred to me before, but you're absolutely right. And that's, <laughs> that's great. That's a brilliant observation. You're absolutely now, was, right. Was Firestorm, I'm trying to remember, I, I was Firestorm Glenn, uh, Jerry Conway or was he Len Wein? I want to say Jerry Conway. Cause, Where's cause, Mike? Mike would know this. Mike, wake up. Uh, Mike must have stepped away. But uh, yeah. I, I think it is Jerry Conway. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> I think it is Jerry Conway, and you got to think... He's coming right off of his Spider-Man run at that point, when he mm-hmm. when he created Firestorm, which means right. he knew that dynamic. Right. So so it really played in well. But I I, I kind of always like I said I always felt that that teenage aspect was key to to the presentation. You know I don't want Ryan Reynolds out there playing uh, playing Ronnie Raymond. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They. I'm not sure who would. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Oh God! What's his name from Spider Man and uh, Andrew Garfield? Uh, no, uh, Planet of the Apes and um, Oz. Oh, oh what's um, his name? <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, oh, I know right? Exactly. Uh, Franco, James Franco. Yeah, James Franco. I think he. Well, he might be getting a little old. He for might it be now. a little old for yeah. a teenager. I, now. You know, yeah. if you could have James Franco. Can you guys hear for- me now? Yes. yes. Yes, we can hear okay. you. Okay, I don't know what the fuck just happened with my microphone. I apologize. <laughs> okay, we thought maybe you walked away for a moment. I, I did, but then when I came back, I was talking, and then I was looking at my settings and realized that there was no sound coming through the blue snowball. So I apologize. Because <laughs> I was sitting there screaming Jerry Conway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, it is Jerry Conway. But yeah, if you could have James Franco from his Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. 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 He would be perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think he would too. But you know, James Franco now—that's what is that? Thank you Most for stealing one of my stuff? selections, by the way, Paul. <laughs> Which, was it Firestorm or something else? Firestorm. Well, you know what? I that, almost picked that's Firestorm the thing too. Is, is that both of my selections for the characters would be people that are way too old now? Because I think the perfect uh, Professor Stein would be uh, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, see, I think you that, know who would have been too the much perfect action. In all but, honesty, the perfect Professor Stein would have been Bill Bixby mid '80s era. Yes, uh, with those big glasses that he wore. No, you know who would work? Well, the, <laughs> it would be uh, uh, is his name Bill? Is it Bill Stein? Bueller. The guy uh-huh. Ben Stein. Bueller. Ben Bueller. Stein. Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, the, the the guy who played the dad in Malcolm in the Middle, who's in Breaking Bad now, he can do a badass right. Bill biz in the first few episodes of Breaking Bad. He's a dead ringer for '70s Bill Bixby. Yeah, that's. I mean, a little, little bit bigger, but otherwise very right, similar. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's he he would. You know what? He would probably be perfect for it because if you've seen him, 
On Breaking Bad, he plays you know drama really, really well. And on Malcolm in the Middle and Seinfeld, he plays comedy, comedy. really well. So you know you could you can do that teen thing where you have the comic relief in there, but it's not a comedy in general. And and he could play the part perfect. And he's probably right about the right age. He's about you know early fifties. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is perfect for Professor Stein. So I think we've cast it. If we could just somehow get cast, the time machine yeah. for James Franco. All right, next on my list. Maybe he has a younger oh. brother or something. <laughs> Maybe. Or, or, or you just, you know, you could always cast an unknown. I mean, there's, that's the one thing, like, yeah. people talk about these. I'd rather movies. people do that, usually. And yet, yeah, people talk about it, and it's like, well, who are you going to have play, you know, Superman in the next movie? And, and it's almost silly to consider established actors in a role like that, because you don't want... An actor that's right. going to take you out of the movie. You want an actor yeah. that part. You don't want to be thinking that's Bill Murray every time you're watching Superman up there, you know? Right. Yes, exactly. Although Bill Murray did do a kick-ass Superman on Saturday Night Live. Yes. Joaquin Franco is Firestorm. There we go. That works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next guy on my list is the Black Panther. And I've always thought he was a fascinating character, and I think he could translate really well to to the movies. Uh, I I find like one of the most fascinating aspects is not just so much him, but the whole Wakanda experience. Because up until that country was created in the comics, I think any time they always talked about an African nation, you know, you, you it was like you were going to the savage land where there were just you know wild men who right. were behind Tarzan, yeah. you know the stereotypical you know probably offensive stereotypical uh, uh, characterization of the African land but Wakanda was presented where you know they're actually even though they have their traditions that go through the years they're more scientifically advanced than we are right. and I, I think that it's, an, it's a nice dynamic that they could present in that way that'll break up really well and and it could make for some real interesting storytelling. I'm so. going to go out on a limb and say that if this if the Avengers thing goes, you know, far and wide enough that I think we'll eventually see Black Panther. I, I don't know necessarily a solo pick which is I think what you're talking about but I think we'll we'll see him as an Avenger. I I, I I'm thinking solo pick and I I also think he could be a great bridge between the Avengers universe and that street-level universe that I'm talking about as well. Right, yeah. Because he's one of the characters that could play in either. Well, I think what you're, what you're talking about, I, I see very much as a, as a whole... Um, you know, if, if it was a comic, we'd call it an imprint. I don't know what you would call it as a, as a movie franchise. I guess franchise. You know, movie franchise is like a Marvel Knights Yes, you know, yeah, so you've got yeah. Avengers, which is almost on a, a like quasi cosmic level, and then you've got street level with a Marvel Knights type of franchise. I think that's a brilliant idea, and you don't have to worry about every one of them being, you know, the next you know billion dollar blockbuster. They can just be a movie, you know. Yeah, basically, I mean, if if it's making its money back and a little bit more, you know, that's that's what you're looking for from some of these. You're not looking for, you know, it's got to make a billion dollars. Right. I mean, obviously, they'd be happy to make a billion dollars on everything, and uh, you know that that would be the ultimate goal on every movie, I'm sure. But you know, you, you don't have to set your sights quite as high for it to be successful. Right. So the last one on my list is kind of a cheat uh, because it wouldn't really be a movie about this character, but it would be a movie featuring him because 
I don't know about you guys, but I'm really, really tired of Superman being presented as a second-class citizen to Batman as far as the movies go now. Uh, and, and, you know, his, his rogues gallery consisting of General Zod and Lex Luthor and no one else. So my last character that I want to present in a movie is Brainiac. I want to see him as the villain in a Superman movie, and I want him presented the right way. They, uh, when Superman Returns came out, there was a rumor that they had a sequel to that written where Brainiac was going to come, and he was basically attracted to Earth by the Kryptonian signal, which had increased because there was the second Kryptonian life sign on Earth, uh, which was his son from Superman Returns. And basically, they were going to have him come and kill the son and basically set up the battle with Superman and Brainiac. I would just love to see Superman face off against a villain worthy of him facing off against and have it presented the right way. I, I don't know that having him kill Superman's son is the way to go, but certainly Brainiac <laughs> is the villain. I was there until you wanted to kill a child. Brainiac had, bastard killed my ways. sons. Yeah, well, that's, that's that's what I was thinking when I had read that, that you know... Uh, I guess, treatments that I had uh, heard about. But just, just the idea of him coming and not having, you know, Lex Luthor with a land deal is really just, you know, something I'd like to see. I'm, I'm so tired of that being the only thing you can present for Superman. And, and it's such a cop-out to say, well, Superman's so powerful, you can't present somebody who can give him a fight. No, you just have to present somebody who's as powerful as Superman. It's really not that hard. Superman would have lasted so long if you couldn't write stories for him, you know. It, it, it's like I said. I think there's just so much of a cop out with Superman, where, where they just people are lazy and they don't want to write the stories the way they should be written for him. And you know, occasionally you see they come up with them, but so often they're just they're trying to create this angsty character in 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 lieu of having any kind of actual you know confrontation for him. Uh, you know, if you can create Superman, you can create somebody as powerful as Superman, and you can create somebody more powerful than Superman, and you can set up that dynamic that he's got to defeat somebody more powerful than him. Uh, you know, it can be done. It's done in comics all the time, and it's done in the movies all the time. So that's my last guy. And then I just have an honorable mention because I had heard rumors that the Submariner was going to be in Iron Man 3, and I would like to see that. I know that there's a big underwater scene in that movie, so, you know, distinct possibility, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that would yeah. just be cool, but I don't know if they're going to do it or not, because I don't know if Submariner is part of the Fantastic Four universe as far as what they sold, and they don't have the rights oh, to that. Yeah. So it, I, all, it all depends It all depends if Fox has it or not. Yeah, I don't know. So and and whether or not Marvel that. actually would want to do it, <laughs> if they do have the rights. Well, I could burn through my list pretty quick. Um, Go ahead. Number five is actually kind of cheat because it's not a single character, but it's a group of characters. Uh, I'd love to see a young all-stars movie. Uh, period piece set in the 40s with these five characters that are kind of like the big guns of the DC Universe. And yet not the big guns of the DC Universe, so you can play with them uh, quite a bit. This is also a cheat for later in the list, but I liked that series a lot even when it kind of went off the rails a little bit towards the end. Uh, I really liked those characters. I mean, you basically had a Superman character that got the clap. Uh, I mean, you, you, you weren't going to read that anywhere else. You really uh, weren't. 
I'll definitely back you up on that because it dovetails nicely with uh, with one on, that's on my list and one of my honorable mentions. So yeah, absolutely. But just have them fighting Axis America in a film mm-hmm. that would be pretty damn epic. Uh, number four is Firestorm. So don't really have to go into that too much because Paul eloquently described why he needs his own film. And I agree with you guys completely that making it an 80s period piece would be the best way to go with that. Uh, Number three is one that I'm surprised they're not trying to fast track given who the character is and what his background is. Why isn't there a Blue Devil movie out there? (laughs) A movie stuntman that gets trapped in a robot suit by a demon. (laughs) It's just it got awesome. No, I'm serious. I, it's, I I'd love to see a Blue Devil movie. How just, would you like to see it handled though? Seriously or yeah? Because I, I could see them put the Jack. I could see the first thing I see is some Hollywood guy going star. As soon as you said those lines, uh, the next thing I heard was starring Jack Black. Jack Ooh. Black or that guy that was in all those movies that South Park's always making fun of. You know, so-and-so is the screwdriver or whatever the hell. You know who oh. I'm talking about? Yeah. He was in the male Adam gigolo. No. Rob, oh, Adam Rob, Sandler's... Channing uh, uh, Tatum, the block of no, wood. The guy, no, the guy. He was he's in talking that about... movies. Something, something, the the gigolo, the American yeah, gigolo he's, or he's something. He's like Adam Sandler's sidekick. Yeah, no, Rob, Rob, it's not Adam Sandler. Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. the guy who's in every Adam Sandler movie, and he goes, you can do it. He's like his, I, his buddy. I want them to do it like the first, like, 12 issues of the, of the series. Right. Where it was fun. It wasn't overly comedic. There was a lot of action going on, but it was just kind of a fun series, and... I am glad that Blue Devil was canceled before they could take it to the dark and serious turn that yeah, they were I, planning on taking it. And, and the because that would have just ruined the character. Fun. I'm sorry to, to interrupt. The Marvel movies have shown you can do fun. Not everything has to be dark. Right. So, number three. I mean, number two. I want a Booster Gold Blue Beetle film. I want the buddy action cop movie with superheroes. Where you have a guy who's two people who are kind of down on their luck trying to make it back to the big time and just not doing a very good job of it until the end of the film. Do you do uh, do you do it as one movie or do you do two separate and then have them meet up? No, you have them both in there. Um, no, I want them both just there at the beginning. I, I would agree them. with that too. Uh, you know, because... If one doesn't do well, yeah, the right. other does. You don't team them up, and that's do, what you want. You... Is you want them teamed up is the main goal. So might as well do it right off the bat. Do you do some kind of an origin story, or do you have them as an existing duo coming right into it? An existing duo coming right into it, and then explaining their origins and how they came together. Or maybe I'm just thinking maybe you could do Blue Beetle as an existing character. And then have Booster Gold come from the future, you know, same origin we already know for him, and then that have that as the, you know, you, you, almost your prototypical buddy movie where they don't like each other at first, and then they learn to respect each other as it goes on. That could work too. I mean, there's there's a bunch of different ways you could handle it, uh, none of which I think are wrong by any stretch of the imagination. But I just think again, you could have a fun movie that has some good comedic elements to it, but also has enough really good action 
because the Blue Beetle series from the mid '80s, from '86 to like '88, the great one of the best things I love about that is the fact that he is like freaking Spider-Man in his action scenes, where he is leaping all over the place, he's kicking people in the face, the face, and he's just you know he's just all you know just everywhere. And I think that would translate very well to what they can do in film these days. And they're both great characters. I don't care what anybody says. I'm just thinking. Uh, I'm no, thinking Lethal Weapon with superheroes. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. that was kind of where I was going to uh, at the end of the day. Where you know, it's just I'm I'm getting too old for this shit. Yeah, that would be uh, a riot. Number one, and this is why it's a cheat because I've already kind of talked about them. But I want a grim, gritty film noir pulp hero Iron Monroe '50s movie where he is a private investigator walking the mean streets of McCarthy-esque America. Just as this... God, I love Iron Monroe. Uh, Just as a character. Because there is so much potential there to do amazing things with him. And just to have kind of a two-fisted hero, you know, just beaten up on all the people that need to be beating beaten up on and kind of a, a gritty like private detective type movie i think that would be a lot of fun and i think i'd love to see it sepia tone black and white i don't yeah. care just I now just I, iron it. monroe is is gladiator's son right yes yeah. okay that's I, I i'm not as familiar with the character i kind of know both of them more from from you guys talking about it than <laughs> you know my own reading so, no. We're going to talk about that a little more in just I'm, a minute. I'm a hundred. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent unfamiliar with both of them. Yeah. Uh, let, let me clear that up for you. I'll, I'll go ahead and. Do you have any more, Mike? Or I'm that done. was your number that one, my, right? That was my one. Okay, I'm going to preface mine with saying um, I purposely went with characters that have not had a big uh, movie, which uh, was tough for me because you know a character that I obviously wanted to put on my list was uh, was Jonah Hex. I kind of figured that was he, the rule of it. Right, yeah. yeah. He he's had his shot, and unfortunately, you know, well, we got what we got. I was very tempted to put Superman on my list too, just to be facetious, but I didn't do that. Um, But you know, the big thing here for my list is that, you know, keeping in mind that you know, as awesome as the Avengers movies, the Avenger movie was, and the Marvel movies have been consistently very, very good. But traditionally, the comic book movie. You know, we're we're just now starting to to emerge out of that, you know, that stigma of they're just not good. And DC still, in my opinion, has still not gotten their act together. So some of these, as much as I really want to see them, some of them also scare me, you know, as to what they could they could potentially be. But uh I had a lot of fun with this. I really, I, I don't think I've dug back through my comics as much for any top five or freaky five as I have for this one, because I really wanted to plumb the depths of what are the, the characters that I've really, really loved and been excited about all these years in comics. The ones that I'd really love to see up there on the big screen, especially if they could get them right. And uh, here's the five that I came down with minor in reverse order, working from five to number one. These are in a purposeful order. Number one is a character that probably a lot of people are not going to know who I'm talking about. Um, back during the 90s, Dark Horse Comics um, kind of dipped its Ooh. toe into the world of, uh, of superheroes, and they created something called Comics Greatest World. 
and they had a slew of characters, most most of which were largely forgettable. I, I think probably, arguably the most pop or not most popular, but most well known one was probably Barb Wire, just because she had a movie starring Pamela Anderson. Not a good character. I'm just saying that that's probably their biggest claim to fame. Not with a that. good movie either. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they did have some some very good characters, some very interesting characters. But the one that I really latched on to was a character called X. I thought that was a phenomenal book. Now, granted, I haven't read it since it was new and coming out. But while it was coming out, that was one of my top of the stack must read books every month. I loved it. I thought it was a really, really great series. Uh, and in a lot of ways, um, when I was watching the uh, the second uh, Christopher Nolan Batman film in a lot of ways, as much as I really detested that movie as a Batman film, I also saw that, wow, if this had just changed the title to X, I'd probably really dig this movie because I saw a lot of elements of X in that movie. So I, I think if they ever decided to make X, I'd totally be down with Christopher Nolan making that movie because I really liked a lot of the the visual elements that he brought to the character. I just didn't think it was a good Batman film, but I thought it had potential to be a great X film, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I know that all of his uh, series were recently, you know, all of his issues were recently collected in a big, cheap omnibus by uh, Dark Horse. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you've never checked it out, Check out that omnibus. I think you'll uh, you'll find that it's really really solid stuff. It was a really good character, and it's a shame that he just kind of faded away because he started out really strong with some really really solid stories. Number four, um, I'm going to echo Mike Booster Gold. However, this is where we're going to disagree. My approach would be completely different. I love Booster Gold. I'm a huge Booster Gold fan, but ever since the cancellation of his original series, I've not really liked any interpretation we've ever gotten of Booster Gold since. I'm really not at all a fan of the ass clown Booster Gold. I Maybe it's just a product of, uh, maybe I was too young to get the joke or something, but in that original series, as I remember it, jo- uh, Booster wasn't a joke. He was a serious superhero. He was this guy who'd screwed up his life in the future, so he came back through time to try to be somebody, and who he ended up being was this superhero. I think that's a really cool idea. I think that could make for a really great movie if handled right and if handled seriously. I don't want to see him be a jokey character. I kind of like the idea of a booster gold, you know, a blue and the gold movie, you know, a booster gold and blue beetle movie, but I'd be so afraid that it would be the superhero odd couple. And I don't want that because that to me, that when they started doing that dynamic in Justice League America, that's where I felt like Booster became an ass clown. You know, that's where he became this this weird loser character that everybody now retroactively thinks he was always just a joke. And I, I just don't like that interpretation. I like him as a hero and I want to see him on the big screen doing, you know, dynamic superhero stuff with Skeets as his partner, not necessarily with Blue Beetle as his partner. But my idea was that he's trying to play it straight. He's trying to be do what booster gold does, which is essentially being a hero that also collects a check. Right. And blue beetles kind of 
riding on his coattails almost, and that's where their conflict comes from. Where Blue Beetle's almost not the comedic character, but the guy that's just trying way too hard. Right. Uh, I, I but mean, no. I think definitely potential with that yeah. idea. You know, I think there. I think that that would be a very interesting way to go. That you know, like you say, Booster's very much trying to be you know, the, the straight up superhero, almost, you know, like maybe idolizing Superman or trying to be a Superman like superhero, even though he wants to, you know, collect a paycheck out of it. Whereas Booster's much more of the jokey Spider-Man character that doesn't maybe take it quite as seriously. So I, I guess there's potential in that, but again, I, even that worries me just from the angle of it, it would be so easy to descend into, you know, the odd couple. You know, and make yeah. it silky. And I, I really want to see if they ever do Booster. I really want to see him be more serious. I, I don't want him to be a joke. I don't want him to be comedic or or something. But I don't know. I, again, I, I, I'd at least like to see them try. I'd love love to see what they could deliver with that character because I still think he's got one of the best looks as a as a superhero. And I've always liked Skeets. I'd love to see Skeets on the big screen too. Um, number three dovetails very nicely with a couple of your picks, Mike. Uh, I would like to see a big screen, big special effects, period piece, Hugo Danner movie. Oh, yeah. Now, Hugo Danner is the gladiator character we were talking about before. And I just want to differentiate him because, you know, earlier I was talking about gladiator in reference to Guardians of the Galaxy. Th- these are two different characters. Marvel has a character called the gladiator who's very much a take on Superboy. Uh, he's kind of like Marvel's version of Superboy, completely different character gladiator. As he relates to DC comics, um, gladiator was a book that was written in the, what was that? The twenties, Mike, I forget. Yeah, what 19, you, it was uh, released in 1932, 32. Okay. And it was this book, um, about this scientist that creates this formula injects it into his pregnant wife and when his son is born his son is basically um he's basically superman but you got to remember this book was published you know a good number of years before superman made the scene and in a lot of ways was uh was one of the inspirations for the character of superman but if you remember what superman was like in action comics number one where he couldn't fly he could only jump great distances he had incredible strength he could lift cars over his head things like that. That's basically what Hugo Danner was. He, he was that level of, of power. And, you know, he had super hard skin and all that sort of thing. And I would love to see that book, you know, see them do a straight up adaptation of that book as a, a big budget special effects picture. I think it would be phenomenal because it's very much golden age Superman, but it doesn't have, you know, there's no costume. There's no secret identities. There's none of your, typical comic book tropes because comics hadn't been invented yet. So it's very much of, I won't say realistic, but it's, it's sort of a real world, like a a Superman, like a golden age Superman level guy in that world of the thirties and, and what his life would be like. And he wasn't a superhero. He was kind of a freak. He was kind of an outcast and constantly struggling to find his place in the world of, everybody around him to him was made out of straw and, and how he had to try to function in that world. And I think it would be great. The only, uh, 
the only worrisome thing is that the book, unfortunately, has what I've always considered a very lame ending. That's that's really the only problem is how do you end bleak. the story? And yeah, very it, it was very bleak. Now, but, you Hugo, know, did... I'm sorry, I was just going to say, you, you mentioned uh, Arne Monroe, his son. That could be your sequel right there. End it in such a way that maybe Danner's story ends with the gladiator adaption, but then there's your sequel as you pick it up in the 50s with his son. I, I yeah. think that. I think of a, a great, I think a potential series right there. The uh, Hugo Danner is basically what if instead of DC Comics producing Superman, uh, what if Timely Comics yes. had done Superman? Because he was very much in that, especially in the 60s, that kind of angsty, you know, this guy's got superpowers, but his life freaking sucks because of it. I mean, he can't catch a break anywhere in his entire existence. I mean, every time he tries to do something, he does the right thing. He either ends up getting shafted or becoming completely disillusioned with humanity. Mm -hmm. And especially towards the end of the book, which is just like one travesty after another with him. And uh, But it's such a great book. And Boy, does he have a lot of sex. <laughs> yes, he does. Oh, man. Yes, Where's that one woman out? <laughs> but I, I think that could really be a good one. And, I, you know, the, the first movie, if they did it as an adaptation of the book, would be sort of like Superman the movie. But, you know, of course, it would be a period piece, that sort of thing. And I think if you if you decided to kind of go kind of liberally with the end of that movie and not end it the same way the book does, then your next one, you could potentially really unleash and have him actually battling somebody you know on his power level or some threat on his power level and and up the ante with that. So I, I've just I, I really like that idea of of a period piece Superman picture and this is a, as close to that as you could get and, and not have it you know be superman because i think doing a, an actual superman period piece i think at this point would just confuse people i i don't think i don't think that they would get it i don't think there'd be the appeal for it so take this character that was one of the inspirations and do it with him and i i think i think you've got you know potentially something that could be really fantastic it might not you know be the next you know, record-breaking blockbuster movie, but I think it could be a, a very entertaining movie. I think it could be a, a good eye candy, you know, summer popcorn movie. So I'd like to see them at least try. To my, to the best of my knowledge, that nobody's ever done an adaptation of Gladiator. I'd love there to was see them a try. French adaptation in like the tw- in like the thirties, like later thirties, but it really had nothing to do with the book. It was. Like the the one scene apparently that really was lifted from the book was the boxing scene, from when he's trying to get the money to get back to college. Uh, I think you so. have to go that way too because I think a lower powered Superman in the 1930s or 1940s just why there'd be too much flying? resistance on that. Yeah, there'd right. be too much resistance. Yeah. So if you make it yeah. just a different character and it's not even, you know, you you could even. You know, in your public relations point of view, you could even present the fact that this is a character that existed before Superman, so that people aren't, you know, don't feel that uh, it's being stolen or something. Of course, exactly. you got to do a better job uh, than they did with John Carter, right? Because they they really yeah. screwed that up. Have Have you guys seen that movie, by the way? 
I have, and I have. I have don't no put interest. Scott in a bad position here. Because oh, <laughs> I, I enjoyed that movie. I, I saw it, and I enjoyed it, and I, I just think they totally screwed up the marketing on it. I, I've heard nothing but good things. I mean, everybody I want to see I it really bad. Said that it's a fantastic movie. Everybody says I would really, really like it. Um, and as a matter of fact, now that I think about it, um, Dave Atterbury put it on at the house one night when we were all hanging out. At, oh, we were uh, too distracted to watch. But, yeah, it. I mean, it looked fantastic. It's just, you know, I mean, from a special effects point of view, it's just it, it story wise, it just doesn't appeal to me. You know what I mean? It's just I don't know. It just I guess it's some prejudice I picked up somewhere about the the whole probably from those crappy Star Wars issues. They didn't you know, know how to were, market it. They should have marketed yeah. it as a throwback to a, a different time of storytelling where but they didn't. They didn't know what to do with it and it was marketed horribly. Well, start, starting with the title. Just calling it John Carter. I mean, how yeah. what what is that telling anyone? I mean, you know, you go it John would be Carter, okay if everybody knew if if everybody knew who John Carter was, that would be okay. Right. It would be exciting. It would be like simply John Carter, and people would go, "Oh, it's John Carter!" But well, yeah, it's like way. now you could do a movie called Indiana Jones, right? Right, right and people would be like, "Oh, oh Indiana yeah, Jones, yeah, Rocky Balboa," <laughs> right? Yeah. But I mean, you know, people had no clue what it was about, and it's it's kind of sad that you know. It's Edgar Rice Burroughs, and, and people don't even know, you know, any, anything about it. It's 100 years ago. Hopefully over the years it'll it'll sink in. That's a good thing about our culture now is stuff can become, it can oh, yeah. become appreciated over time a lot easier now because people can actually see it. Yeah, right. that's true. Yeah, there, I mean, there's still a good number of things that come out that, you know, sometimes even the studio, you know, this isn't the case with John Carter. Of course, they wanted it to be huge and it just wasn't. But, you know, every once in a while movies come out that they know full well are not going to perform very well at the box office. But there's that hope that, you know, in the secondary market and over time, they're going to make that money back because word of mouth will get around and go, hey, right. you know, you may have missed this at the theater, but this is actually a really solid movie. Yep. That definitely was not their hope with John Carter, but it does seem like that's kind of happening now that. You know, the word of mouth is getting out there and people are, you know, discovering it on DVD. Now that and people that don't have to pay thing, $13 so. to see it in 3D. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'll probably end up seeing it at some point. It's just, to me, it just, I knew what it was and it just didn't really, it just never grabbed me. But uh, I don't know. I, I'd still, I'd love to see them try with something like Gladiator. But I, I agree that, you know, as, as I feel that John Carter kind of missed that opportunity in the promotion to say, you know, hey, you know that Star Wars thing? Well, this is where it came from. I think they'd have to do the same thing with uh, with a, a Gladiator movie. I think it, it would have to be promoted that way. You know, the this was the forefather of Superman. You know, this is where mm. the Superman legend kind of borrows <laughs> most of you know its story from, or a right. good, healthy portion of its story from. I think they'd have to find a way to market it that way. And if they market it that way, potentially, I don't know. But that, of course, I think also, you know, depends heavily on Superman being a hot property at the time that they would want to release this movie, which I don't know. At the moment, is Superman a hot property? I don't know. And it depends. We'll I think find it depends out. strongly on how this movie performs, you know, the one that's coming yeah. up. But I think it may perform see. well. But I think if John Carter had performed well, you know, knowing the way Hollywood works with, you know, basically copycats. 
then you know the executives in Hollywood would be looking. Oh, what you know? What other old stories haven't been mined? Right. Yet? And and I think you'd have a much better chance of seeing a Gladiator movie. That's a good point too. Well, I'll, uh, let's see here. We got number two. Number two, I could sum up this way because this is exactly how I'd want this movie to start. I just wanted to come up, and you've got some sort of you know spooky music coming, in. or not spooky necessarily, but just. Big music, you know something huge is about to happen. And you just get this voiceover that just says, Chosen from among all others by the immortal elders Solomon, Hercules, <laughs> Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. Uh, Billy Batson uh, and his mentor travel the highways and byways of the land <laughs> on a never-ending mission to right wrongs, to develop understanding, and to seek justice for all. And then replaced by 70s chank-a-chank porno music. No! See, that's why I preface this with the thing about, you know, how they've always been screwing up these these comic book movies till now. That would be my worry is that if they made because in my mind, I would love to see a big screen Captain Marvel movie. But the one I'd want with all respect to people that love the old Fawcett comics and that that interpretation of Captain Marvel, my Captain Marvel is the Shazam TV show captain marvel so that's the one i'd want to see but i don't want them to jim carry it up you know i don't want them to make it some ridiculous yeah. thing or, <laughs> or treat it like star you know starsky and hutch the movie where they're going for that cheesy 70s you know let's make it a comedy you know no do it straight i want to see it as an adaptation of that old show so you you have the winnebago you have billion mentor and they're traveling the country i want it aimed very much for kids make it kid friendly not a bunch of dick and fart jokes you know something whole a few dick and fart jokes you know because superman as much as i love superman you know they they kind of played superman like say superman the movie superman 2 kind of middle of the road they they were trying you know they they wanted it to appeal to children but at the same rate they they um you know they wanted it to be for adults too, you know, so they, so they brought the verisimilitude, that sort of thing. And I love them for that. I, I think that movie works beautifully as a you know, embracing everybody kind of movie, but Captain Marvel, no, aim that right at the kids, you know, and I'm not saying kid movie, but got, I'm just, saying, I got one like that in my list too, but, but Billy you know, that, Batson has to be a kid. He's, he shouldn't even be, yeah. shouldn't be a teenager. Yeah. Like he was on the Ten TV show, 10, 11, right. tw- no older than 12. Right. And, you yeah, know, because right. I think that's the appeal of the characters. You're taking Car- a young kid. Carl from The Walking Dead could play Billy Batson. Yeah, that uh, wouldn't be a bad choice at all. Yes. I, the first one that came to my mind, and I'm not sure he may be too old now, but the one that came to my mind was the little kid from Malcolm in the Middle. I always, or no, not Malcolm in the Middle. What's that show? They're all too old now, the, yeah. Middle, that's the name of The Middle, the one with, uh, with Ray's wife from Everybody Loves Raymond. There's a show called The Middle, and her son on there is hilarious. I think he would make a really good Billy Batson, but uh, but yeah, I guess the the kid that plays Carl or the kid from those uh, wimpy kid movies, if he's not getting too old now, I think he would be really good. But yeah, there's several people I'd like to see do that. But uh, but you know, very much. Well, actually, wimpy kid. You know, I don't know if any of you guys have seen those movies, but that would be a really good um, feel for a Captain Marvel movie. I think. You know, it just occurs to me that that Ben Ten is Captain Marvel. 
Have you, have you ever yeah. have you ever seen that at all? My kids used to watch it. I mean, he's he's a young kid. He's got he's traveling around with his grandfather, who's mentor, and 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 he's got the thing where you know he turns his Ben Ten watch or whatever, and he becomes you know a, a an adult superhero. Right. I, I it just occurred to me while you were talking about it. That's that's basically they took the whole Captain Marvel thing and they took it from the TV show because they have mentor in there. Ah, bastards. My number one, though, um, and this is why I wanted to go with this. You know, we were given the choice last time. Of, you know, we had several different topics to choose from. And the reason I voted for this one is because my number one came to me instantly the moment I read this selection. You know, I, I said before I'm reading the, the whole history of the Guardians of the Galaxy in preparation for the movie coming up and everything. And uh, and I think that Marvel's really Marvel and uh, and Disney especially are really banking on you know Guardians being uh, right up there with Avengers and all that. And I, I'm hoping it is. But as I'm reading my way through that series, there's one piece of Marvel cosmic that just feels missing to me. There's there's one piece, and they've touched on it a little bit. But there's one piece I really want to see them bring in that if, that if suddenly this person were to just rock it in, I'd be like, yes, now it's complete. Now it's whole. You know, it would be just that would be the awesome moment. You know, the payoff moment of the whole thing is if this guy could just, you know, appear on the scene. And I know that, uh, you know, at least according to rumors, uh, Disney's really working uh, you know, now that they've acquired Marvel, they've acquired Star Wars, they're really working on acquiring um, Hasbro toys. I want to see Rom Space. I knew it. I want to see <laughs> I knew Rom it. movie because I'll tell you, right up there with, with reading Guardians, I'm also making my way through the Rom series, the original Rom comics. And I'm telling you, that is a story that is prime for a series of movies it's epic it's it's a star wars level story it's uh you know in short just in brief that story involves rom he comes to earth because <clears throat> on his planet was invaded by these dire wraiths and so people were selected out of his race to basically give up their humanity to become space knights and to go out and battle evil. And they eventually drove the dire wraiths off their planet, out of their galaxy you know, or solar system, whatever, and out into space. For 200 years, Rom's been doing this job. And eventually his job brings him to Earth. And Earth, it turns out, is infested with these guys. And it has been for a long time, to the point where the dire wraiths not only do they live amongst us and we don't even know it, but they're actually in high levels of power and government and, and actually controlling key aspects of they our They live planet. style, then. They, they very much, they live X-Files type of stuff. And Rom is the only one that can see them. He's the only one that can detect him. He's the only one that can save us. Come on, tell me that's not an awesome movie. And everybody's going to think he's a psycho because he comes down and shoots it's, the president. Exactly. Stuff. That's exactly how the story starts out, is that for the first about year and a half they think he's a giant killer robot because from their perspective, <laughs> right how, how humans see the dire race they see them as regular people so when he sends one of them to the um 
Limbo. It's kind of like the Phantom the Zone. Phantom when zone, he zaps yeah. them, it's basically the Phantom Zone. When he zaps them to the Phantom Zone, human beings see the person die, you know, like disintegrate <laughs> into a ball of dust. Yeah. So they do think he's he's a mad, like, killer robot. And over the course of the story, he's able to convince people that, no, I'm not killing anybody. I'm actually saving your planet. And I'm telling you, it's it's good. It's really good stuff. It's very exciting. And uh, I know that Marvel, supposedly, you know, this is all according to rumor, but I've been watching this uh, unfold on Facebook through the, uh, there's a ROM group that you can join. Um, they're trying to, uh, to, basically, it's to benefit Bill Mantlo. And they're trying to to raise awareness of ROM, trying to get ROM back out there in the public awareness. Maybe even basically the ultimate goal is to get ROM back in print as like trade paperbacks or something so that um, Bill Mantlo can get some royalties and and get some money coming in because he's not in a good way. And so I've been watching the development of that. And through that group, that's where I've learned that, you know, it looks like Disney's after Hasbro. Hasbro just filed something recently that has something or other to do with ROM that has generated a lot of interest. It looks like ROM may return in some form. There's been some talk. I guess there's some new series that's coming out that actually has a picture of ROM in the series, which is something Marvel's not allowed to do. So if he's in that series, then something's been happening behind the scenes with ROM to facilitate his appearance in this series. So it's all kind of ramping up and it's getting really exciting. And it looks like potentially in the comics anyway, or maybe even in a a toy, Rom may be returning. So if that happens, that gives me a lot of confidence that at some point as they plumb the depths of, you know, the the Marvel universe for great characters and great storylines to adapt to the big screen or a TV show or animated series or animated movie or whatever, Rom might be one of them. I think that would be awesome because, uh, you know, I I've always loved the character just from a visual standpoint and just from a, a, a you know, a, a nostalgic toy standpoint. But now that I really am finally reading the entire saga as a whole, I'm discovering just how awesome this story really, really is. And God, I'd love to see it on the big screen. I, I you know, just as much as I want to see him sail in to the Guardian's story in the comics i think that would be exciting in the movies see rom spin out of guardians of the galaxy the the movie franchise into his own adventure i think would just be fantastic so yeah my number one rom space night um <laughs> well you know i thought like like you to maybe do some sarcastic ones like the spirit or howard the duck but then i was like ah, it's people who never got their chance even even a failed chance. And then I started thinking about it some more, and I thought, why limit myself to just your Cinemaplex movies? Why not also think about the genre of pornography? (laughs) So number five on my list is uh, Cherry (laughs) Pop-Tart. I'm not a big fan of the Cherry Pop-Tart comics. I think they're really kind of... They're kind of funny as an Archie... Somewhat, somewhat archy, sort of, but they're kind of squeaky clean and boring. But I think they would make a very successful line of, of, um, of porn movies. And they're all parodies of TV shows and stuff like that. So that could be a lot of fun. 
And then, so number four is also a porno one, but this one's on a more serious note. And Scott, you'll be with me on this one. Omaha the Cat Dancer. Yeah. As an animated cartoon. Yeah. Would be a crazy, it would be like the first, like, X-rated cartoon that somebody would have to take seriously since, like, Fritz the Cat or something like that, you know? I could see Omaha as an HBO series, an animated yes. HBO series. Yes. I really could, actually. Yeah, and I could see that, actually, if they could get past... With Fifty you know, Shades much, of Grey. Right, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I, I think you're with me on this. Much like, you know, people may have initially had to get over their horror prejudice or maybe some, you know, woman was dragged to the TV by their boyfriend or husband going, no, no, you'll like this Walking Dead thing. It's not just about the gore and the zombies. And This will be and the women will grab on the... Yeah, the women the will, you know, if they can get yeah. past the, the, the car, you know, it being a cartoon and it being a porno... If they can get past that and, and latch onto the story, they'd be hooked. Because be that, that's what caught me with that is that, yeah, I discovered it because at first, you know, yeah, you're a horny teenage boy and, oh, this would be a good spank book. But once you actually read the damn thing, you discover, no, this is a really good story. It's got good characters and stuff. Yeah. Like I like the articles. Um, <laughs> number three, now, technically, has been in movies a lot. Arnold Schwarzenegger's played him. He's been a cartoon character. But I want to see the comic version of the Marvel comic version of Hercules. Yes. That would be a hilarious movie. Yes. I you know, agree. as, 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 as at, at about the level of comedy of, say, like um, Galaxy Quest, you know, mm-hmm. that that mixture of drama and comedy. I think that would be awesome. I think I'm the closest on that. thing to Hercules that I've ever seen is uh, Aquaman on Brave and the Bold. If you've seen Outrageous. that at all, yeah, I, I think you know. He, yes, he was Herc- he was Aquaman, but realistically, he was Her- Marvel's Hercules. It's Hercules. I, I would love to see that with his robot sidekick and and just like tearing up the women and and. I would love to see the original four issue Bob Layton. Yes, as yes. a big screen movie. I think what that would be awesome. Yeah. They could probably mash those two minis in and still have the dramatic ending of part two or whatever yeah well plus you know then you know by by making him you know making his solo feature or whatever then he's out there as a character yes. or what so you know after a little and bit he would be a fun character he and tony stark would be a lot of fun together i would like to see one of the classic uh hercules thor tussles yes. that we've had over time because then you've got potential for you know, a destroy level movie. You know, yes. It's just the two of them going at it, battling each other and not giving a damn at all what kind of collateral damage they're causing right. in the middle of New York City. And right, with Thor being all serious and pissed be... off and fighting and Hercules Can just you like, wahoo, a fight, yes. Well, basically yeah, it would be the Thor Hulk fight from the Avengers just in an entire movie. In the city. Yes. Yes. A yes. whole movie. Oh my God. God, throw the Hulk in there, money. man, and yeah, I have to change my pants. I'm serious. <laughs> I would just, I would just have to tell Disney, you know what? Just don't even bother to cut me a paycheck this week. Just, just keep yeah. it and, and make me that. Yes, you could, you could just give me a movie ticket. How much do you make a week that you can finance <laughs> an entire film out of your paycheck? See, that's that's <laughs> what that's that's how much it means to him. What do they charge you to go to the movies now? Like his $11? kids will starve for a week. <laughs> So my my number two swings all the way the opposite from my orig- first ones, and it's one for the kiddies, and not necessarily one of my favorite comics, 
but I think it would make a great series of movies. It would probably be in the vein of Spy Kids, but probably better than Spy Kids, and that would be Brat Pack. I could totally yes. see this being a very appealing indie series. film. Yes. Yeah, and, that and would if be a mainstream well, blockbuster. That would be something that they released in February. And aim it right at kids. Brat Pack or Power Pack? Brat Pack. Who's Brat Pack? Oh, I'm sorry. I mean Power Pack. No, oh, Brat, okay. Pack. I was like... Brat Pack you should name for kids, man. Not at all. That's the <laughs> There's venereal yeah, diseases. Power Pack, That's... yeah. Power Pack, yeah. I wrote Yeah, I'd back, yeah. I, yeah, I'd back Brat it. Brat Pack, I... yeah. There's one for the kiddies. <laughs> there <laughs> the was a comics team called Brat Pack, but I'm trying to remember what. I don't even there remember. There was a comic called Brat Pack, but it was by Rick Veitch, and it was. Uh, okay. It was. And, and you know, if you, listen to, if you listen to the shows you're not on, Scott, you would know that. Chris and I did an entire Comics Monthly Monday on them. Nah, he's not interested in that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what? No <laughs> Scott Gardner. <laughs> All I hear is rah, 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 rah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that far side skit. Yeah. Uh, and if, if, his name, if his name gets mentioned, it's like rah, 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 Scott Gardner. He's like, wait, what did they say? <laughs> you Love don't you, know how close you are. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, number one would be uh, a Frank Miller character of all things, and and it would be um, Martha two Washington. Left feet guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly, two left feet guy from the sewers and Daredevil. <laughs> um, no, Martha Washington from yeah, uh, yeah. Martha Washington Goes to War. I would love to see that as a movie. I really liked her character. I think that was like one of the last things. Frank Miller did before he went cuckoo go crazy for Cocoa Puffs. And I think that would be a giant fun movie. It has a giant robot big boy with that shoots missiles. Yeah. Yep. But that's that's all I got. What what so what's our uh, top 5 for next time? Scott, you said we had a we had a choice. We do. We have a choice. Actually, I just remembered. I, I did have a couple of honorable mentions that I totally forgot about. So real quick, three honorable mentions. Um, I would love to see the All-Star Squadron adapted to uh, a movie, like a movie series or something like that. Particularly um, the Freedom Fighters and or the uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory. Because I love that one Justice League uh, Unlimited episode with the Seven Soldiers. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, and you and have to you have to throw it in in, in period with Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how you have to do it. Um, another one, and I'm not sure about this one. I mean, it could be good, but traditionally, uh, you know, the 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 different scale type of movies always come off looking a little bit funny. But maybe special effects have finally caught up with this concept. But I kind of like to see Marvel's version of the Micronauts. Ooh. Ooh, I found Micronauts to be very derivative of Star Wars, and when they weren't going to make another Star Wars movie, I thought this is a way for them to kind of do it. Uh, right. But now that they're making a Star Wars movie, I don't know that they would, especially with you know. Well, I don't actually. Marvel doesn't really own the Micronauts so much. Right. Kind of what like about as a weekly wrong. weekly CG show like Clone Wars? That could be cool. Yeah. See, some of these I think actually would work better as a as a TV show. And, uh, yeah, I think Micronauts might actually be that, one like that. That first, you know, the first story arc on Micronauts, I thought, like I said, I thought it was very Star Warsian, but I also thought it was epic. 
I really, really enjoyed that, especially at the end when the uh, I can't even think of what the the Captain Universe power thing. Uh, oh, uh, uh, time traveler. Um, oh, what, yeah, I know who you're talking about. What was whatever his name? it is, when it when it manifests itself in our yeah. ran, and all of a sudden it's all around and everything. I mean, it, it's you know akin to the Force. But just right. really, it was it was so well done in that book. I think that might I think that was also Bill Mantlo. Yeah, you could be right. See, and, and again, that might be just you know that might be just my childhood flashback because to my mind, Micronauts is the original twelve issues. You know, so a lot of that is Michael Golden because mm-hmm. I just never felt like they recaptured the same feel after he left. And um, you know, I mean granted they, you know, the series still ran for several years and there were sequels. You know, they they had several more series and specials and appearances and things like that. So, you know, obviously it lived beyond the Michael Golden stuff, but Michael Golden era is always what I yeah. think of when I think of the yeah, Michael. Oh, yeah. So, if you could adapt that look you know, to whatever movie or TV show or whatever, I, I think it could be it an interesting. It looked like real movie. bugs. They looked very buggy. Yeah. And Baron Carza was Darth Vader. I mean, it was so. I always wanted the Baron Carza doll. You know, both. I know. Going, going with Micronauts, I think uh, the Atari Force series that DC put out in the 80s would make a pretty decent movie, too. Could. And that had a lot of that had a lot of Star Wars elements to it towards mm. the end of it. Yeah. But I love those characters, Pack Rats. I I still love Pack Rat to death. You, you know, guys have I, no it, idea who I'm talking about, do you? No, no, I, I, don't. I, I, I actually I, I, I somewhere I have the Atari the original Atari Force comic that came with the game. It just occurred to me that I, I was going to say that you know there's a there's a new. Uh, Star Wars trilogy looming on the horizon, so maybe we'll get a fresh spade of uh, of Star Wars knockoffs. But now that I think about it, that didn't really happen with the last trilogy, did it? It not no, the way it happened with the original. Maybe it's a sign of. You know, uh, I know. Yeah, I don't know if any, you really don't want to copy the 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 right the the prequels unless you're George Lucas he's right. got the built-in audience yeah but you're if not this gonna... next trilogy comes out and, and manages to to capture even a a portion of that lightning in a bottle of the original trilogy then maybe we would get a fresh you know a fresh supply of of you know studio knockoffs. imitators knockoffs yeah. type of things that are plumbing the depths looking for Star Wars like stories and maybe something like uh, Atari Force or Micronauts could could make the cut. If they do something, I don't know. It's an idea. Like Chris said, um, I, last I could one, easily I, I, have you guys, uh, I, I could sorry? easily see it being a, uh, you know, like a Clone Wars type cartoon, cartoon. where that that first yeah. twelve issues is a season arc. Right. I think that could play that, really well. If if they were allowed to to also play, you know, play in the Marvel universe. Um, that could be interesting too, because in that original series, I mean, they were very much ingrained in the Marvel universe at the time. You know, they met up with uh, like Swamp Thing and uh, Man Thing, or Man, I'm sorry, Man Thing, and um, I'm trying to remember who else they met up with. They they, well, they, they met like, up with the Nightcrawler eventually, but that was much right, later. Yeah, uh, they and they like the, the Fantastic Four in there. Fantastic at one point. Four, yeah, yeah. You guys, uh, any guys ever read a uh, uh, Dark Horse character called Ghost? I've seen. 
I've seen her. I've never read it. Right. I'm kind of surprised you didn't pull out um, that John Byrne World War II character uh, from Dark Horse. Which one? The the guy that was kind of half ass attached to Hellboy. I know you. You know the, the guy with the black domino mask. Oh, um, uh, yeah, what was his name? Torch of Liberty? Torch of Liberty. Eh, I don't know, though. I mean, we've, we've had Captain America, and, and Captain America looks like it's it's going to go places and, and be a strong franchise. So I don't know. Torch of Liberty is kind of a... He's pretty much just Captain America, you know what I mean? But, yeah, I mean, if they if they made one, I'd be interested in that. Ghost, I thought, was a really interesting concept um, that I think could look good visually. They'd have to get the right, you know, female for that role, though, because of course a lot of the yeah. appeal of the comics is that she's, you know, Hot. got huge knockers and she's falling out of her outfit. So, but she is an interesting. There's some actresses uh, like that, so I'm. Sure oh yeah, find one. So, uh, all right. So for next time, we do have a choice. We can pick another from TNR 105's original list, or we can pick something from his second list. And uh, the second list has some just, uh, I think, some fantastic ideas on here. So the original list, what's left is we've got uh, top five underrated characters, top five overrated characters, top five stories you like by writers you hate, which I don't think I could do that one. I can't think of anything um, top five stories uh, that need to be collected and or reprinted. Top five comic ideas that you can't believe haven't been done yet, which I kind of like. But it's, I really like this I'm second like. list. This one I think is great. Got top five non-crisis game changers. And he means stories like, say, when Batman's back got broken or Spider-Man got the black suit, stories like that. That kind of were game changers, but they weren't, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths type of thing. Top five things the comic industry needs to improve on. I like that one. Uh... <laughs> Top five stories you would like to see adapted into other media, which I think is going to be my selection. Top five forgotten supporting characters. Top five WTF moments in comics. Top five FTW for the win moments in comics. And that's what we've got to choose from, fellas. So what do you think? I'm down with the adapt adapted one. <laughs> I'll go with yours. Because <laughs> right. there's Top like five. a dozen to choose from. Right, exactly. Paul? Uh, I would have gone with the uh, non-crisis game changers. But uh, I, w- I, d- I wasn't even sure I had a vote. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe we can make that one the next next time, you know, next time after this time. So we want to go with top five stories you would like to see adapted into other media. Is that, is that what we're going yes. with? All right. So that will be the next Freaky Five. So that brings us Writing it to down. everybody's favorite part of the show. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 Well, since this comic I read it, I'm also hesitant to walk up to the blackboard because <laughs> I have a notebook in front of my yes, my anyway, my He Hulk. All right. 
So this time on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Comic Book, or GCTRAGCB, I read Marvel Comics graphic novel number 18, The Sensational She-Hulk, or John Byrne is a Very Weird Horny Man. We start out with Nick Fury giving a lecture on the Constitution to his superiors who apparently are calling him from a sauna because they want him to snatch up the She-Hulk without a warrant. And hey, what the hell happened to the Hulk? Is he dead or something? Anyway, they tell Fury to suck it up because the orders came from the top. Fury uses the, the shit runs downhill rule and dumps the orders on Dum Dum Dugan and then goes on vacation. Meanwhile, She-Hulk hanging out with her boyfriend Wyatt again. We know he is an Indian because someone mentions it every five seconds. <laughs> they are going to see a play <laughs> But She-Hulk has got to pork him first. On the way to the show, S.H.I.E.L.D. sends some gold juggernaut-style suit guys to pick up the She-Hulk, but they don't have a warrant or read her her rights, so she beats them with a handy nearby car. S.H.I.E.L.D. cuts their losses and just beams the whole lot of them to an undisclosed location. She-Hulk leads her boyfriend and some innocent bystanders into an air duct, but once all the citizens get gassed, Wyatt and She-Hulk bust out but find out they're on the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier. The two are wrangled by a S.H.I.E.L.D. guy named Dooley, who does his strip search on the She-Hulk immediately and in front of his whole crew. But we don't get to see nothing because there are stupid panels in the way. <laughs> Dugan shows up and is pissed. He writes up Dooley for general perviness and apologizes to the She-Hulk and says his bosses are concerned that she's going to go bad. Dooley returns with orders to put him in charge and sends Dugan packing. He throws Wyatt in the clink and takes She-Hulk to the lab for a good old alien-style probe session. <laughs> Dooley makes her get naked, but once again you can't see nothing. They throw her in jail with Wyatt, but S.H.I.E.L.D. forgot she can be normal-sized, so she changes to her puny self and escapes. Meanwhile, an old hobo who got beamed up earlier is really a roach-filled corpse that takes over Dooley when they make out. She-Hulk finds Dooley's room and sees he's been watching her naked tapes. Now, this time, you can see her butt on a TV screen. Finally. Roach Dooley cuts the rotors on one side so the helicarrier starts to crash. At first they think it's the She-Hulk, so they shoot her in the boobs. I'm pretty sure that I can see some nipples here. <laughs> She-Hulk smashes Roach Dooley, but the ship crashes. She has to go into the nuclear core Spock style to stop an explosion. She is swarmed by the radiation-loving roaches and has to squash them all against her steel-like, yet soft and giving body until she is coated in roach goo. Dude, John Byrne is a real sick, perverted man. We find out later from Rubber Guy that she can no longer switch from being She-Hulk. She, just like anybody else, is kind of psyched. Meanwhile, the roaches are still hanging around New York City, and She-Hulk gets a sensual massage from an Indian. The end. Awesome. John Byrne's a perv, man. But he's my kind of perv. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think? Now, you had never read this before, no, right? No, it was quite enjoyable. But it's like it's like John Byrne's tribute to Cheesecake. 
really is what mm-hmm. all it is. It's just a it's just a opportunity to dress up the She Hulk and then undress her repeatedly. You know, there, See, this, there is. I find it a bit alarming how um, off the cuff she is about the whole like strip down thing. Maybe the She Hulk, because of her hulkiness, is kind of an exhibitionist. You get that sort of, but you know, I I mean, most women would actually not be sort of like, ah, whatever. He's just a little perv. Most women would be just like, I'm gonna squash you out like a goddamn bug, <laughs> like later on in the comic. My favorite moment of this entire book is when dumb dumb walks in on her strip search <laughs> and just basically balls this guy out in front of god and everybody mm-hmm. and he tries to and the other dude tries to act like all big and bad like i've got friends in high places and dugan's like fuck you <laughs> i'm dumb dumb dugan sir okay there's two people that have drank the infinity formula i'm one of them i've seen shit that'll turn you white there is nothing you have <laughs> that i cannot handle I don't know. I, I, I like this story quite a bit, but I gotta agree with Chris. Uh, Byrne really wanted to draw She-Hulk naked. And this was, like, the closest... I mean, remember that issue of FF where it was her getting, like, the the Stanley-looking Hugh Hefner guy? Yes. Taking the naked, you know, getting the naked sunbathing photos and... and, and oh, that's right. Them. So, I think he just really wanted to see She-Hulk naked. Um, I can't did help... But wonder that if uh, if this book was done um, a little later, if he might have gotten away with it. And it's a yeah. shame that he didn't, because you know that Mar- I'm assuming Marvel just didn't allow him to do it. Because reading this again, it doesn't see when I originally owned this as as a kid, this always felt very adult to me. Like like a lot of the the early. Graphic Marvel novels. graphic novels did. Now, now it feels kind of immature and like. Well, not so much immature as it just feels soft, like. Not soft, it, it feels like uh, like an outgrowth of Fantastic Four, which she was appearing in at the time. It, it doesn't seem any edgier than a than an issue of uh, of Fantastic Four, except for some of the language. I, I think there was, uh, as I recall, uh, yeah, right here, Dum Dum Dugan when he's bawling out the guy. You know, he, he's, there's some language there. So I mean the language is uh, is ramped up just a tiny it's I mean it's, it's it's like back to the future level you know which they weren't getting away with in the comics at that time. Well it, they also knew and graphic novels were all about being a little more adult and having a little more adult content in them you know right. they, they didn't have the comics code on them. But I think you know give give this another cuz what year is this? This is 80 uh, let's see here, 85. So I'd say give this a couple more years. Give this maybe by the end of the decade of the of the 80s. They probably could have gotten away with at least bare breasts, I'm thinking. Because they did, uh, what was it, Heart Throb or whatever the name of that one was, Heart Pulse or something. That that Rick Veitch one had the, na- the naked yes. green girl. And that was full yes. frontal in that. So it's not like they they didn't get away with it or didn't burst. push that envelope heart burst that was it. Um they just didn't do it at this point you know, they didn't pull the trigger but I think eventually Well that was also all original characters and they might have been a little more hesitant to somebody that that cuz uh, cuz little little kids could get a hold of 
regular she she hulk comics that's good, yeah that's a good and point. then see this one and be like oh and i think it was all about the cheesecake it was all about the teas rather than the right delivering the goods so it was all about the panels being placed to block everything and just sneak in a couple nipples in and a and a and you know but it's all pervy stuff it's like a bond the shot with her naked butt is a bonded shot that's no regular exam they gave her. They had her standing up with her, with all four limbs tied and splayed, you know. Right. So it was like a bonded shot. And she said something about you know onanism when she was in there, which is basically beating off. So you know she made a little nod to. It, it has all sorts of weird little fetish things in it. You know, she's right. a big, tall, muscular woman. Picks up her boyfriend, carries him into the bedroom, and. And dresses up in in little different outfits. The the squashing bugs thing is there's a whole lot of videos of women squashing. I think you're not allowed to squash bugs anymore, but that was a big deal. And I think he was sort of paying a little nod to that and the sort of coy funniness to it and a, a, an amount of sort of innocence to it, even though it is kind of lascivious. Um, Freddie Pagey, you know, sort of cheesecakey, you know, he was having fun with cheesecake because it's just a real, it's just a basically a real uh, light and light adventure story, you know, it's just a little adventure. Yeah. And uh, what was up with the Hulk? Was did was the Hulk dead at this point or something? Because I this was all that. This was uh, right in that. Period. Yeah, where he uh, he had been banished from Earth to the crossroads of infinity or whatever it was called by by Doctor Strange. Basically, what had happened is uh, a couple years prior to this, um, the Hulk had gained the intelligence of Bruce Banner for a time, but slowly the Savage Hulk reasserted itself to a point where eventually, thanks to Nightmare, he went completely the other direction into just a, a mindless rampaging beast destroy and so yeah exactly so doc strange spider-man the avengers and a bunch of other characters got together in hulk 300 and decided they just had enough of this guy and they banished him to basically they sent him somewhere where he'd be somebody else's problem so he I roamed know. around there for 13 issues until he finally came back in john burns run on uh, on incredible hulk where he returned to Earth and you know went back to his adventures. So this must this must be right in that in between period. Uh-huh. I'm guessing between three hundred. I think it's three fourteen. No, is it three uh, fourteen? You, you blanked out on me, Scott. Yeah, you blanked oh, okay. out. Yeah. Just right after um, he came back, actually in Alpha Flight number twenty eight, and then that led into Incredible Hulk three fourteen. That's right. You're right. Because Bill Mantlo and John Byrne traded titles, basically. That's right. I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. So yeah, this must be right in that. That well, I don't know though. This says this is eighty five. When when was Byrne on the Hulk? I thought that was much earlier because Byrne was. Oh, he was okay. So I was thinking that was like way before because he would be on Superman by eighty six. I didn't realize by his... the middle of eighty six. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah. Remember, we covered all the Hulk issues. Right. On, on back to the bins. Right. Uh, so, I always sorry. think of that being earlier than it is in his in his work at Marvel, though, only because it, it just doesn't seem, in my own mind, it doesn't seem like his Hulk work 
is as close to his Superman work as it actually really is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's within like a year and a half of, of when he would take over Superman. So I always think of him going from whatever, you know, to Hulk, to Fantastic Four, and evidently he must have been doing Fantastic Four concurrently then, right? With Alpha Flight and then the Hulk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a lot. He was putting out a lot of stuff. See, I always think of him as, as going from one to another to another. I forgot that he was kind of, you know, doing all of that stuff concurrently. I, uh, I've always been a big fan of this. I mean, yeah, there's the cheesecake factor. And yes, I've always loved that panel of her standing there topless. You know, you don't, as you said, you don't see anything, but it's still a great panel. Um, you know, so yeah, there's all that from the, you know, from the, the, the male perspective, you know, especially you know, a young adolescent and everything. But I've always found this to be a really good story. It's, uh, it's deceptive because it is actually a very simple story. Mac- masquerading is a slightly deeper story. It's not really very deep or a- even very original for that matter. But it serves a couple of functions is it makes it, it kind of brings this character into her own. Because, yeah, she had her own series, you know, Savage She-Hulk, um, which I think if, if Byrne hadn't brought her into the FF, I don't think anybody would remember She-Hulk today. You know, she'd be on a level of like Ms. Marvel was for a long, long time before she was brought back too. you know, where people just, you know, she was just one of those 70s books that had, you know, a dozen and a half issues and folded and nobody remembered it. Right. But, you know, he brought her into to FF and, you know, started to play with her character there. But she was still kind of like the fifth wheel or, you know, that sort of thing. She was just that, that stand in character for the thing. But then with this, it really kind of fleshed her out. It, it made a character out of her. She wasn't just, you know, a, a cardboard cutout anymore. It, it gave her a personality and, and somebody that you could kind of latch on and, and know what she was like and what she was about. And I really like that. Well, um, they, they also, I think this, the whole purpose it served like really story wise was just to cement her in that character to say okay she can't change yes. back and forth she's going to be the she-hulk all the time now right and if that doesn't go right we could always get a cure or whatever for the radiation or right whatever but i well, like also that- it differentiates her from the hulk but also it differentiates her from the savage she-hulk because right. now we see that she's not going to be you know, mindless and rampage. She's not a monster. Her gamma mutation actually makes her, you know, this gorgeous, you know, superheroine. And I, I think that's neat. I, well, I she's just got to, it's yeah. like, she's just got a shade of, of what Banner had. So it makes her bigger, stronger. It probably makes her a little smarter, but it also makes her more impulsive and more like sexually aggressive. It, it, right. She's definitely that's portrayed as being horny. Later. She's definitely portrayed huh? as being very horny in this and very just like, you know, picking up her boyfriend and carrying him off to the bedroom and telling him he's an Indian when he isn't telling her he's an Indian. <laughs> what was that, Every- Mike, about Dan Slott? Dan Slott wrote her like that. It was yeah. total. When, when she was Jennifer Walter, she was kind of repressed. But when she was She-Hulk, she, she, nailed the juggernaut i mean see what's very funny to me it's kind of ironic is i I hold both this graphic novel 
and Burns run on FF, especially with the She-Hulk on the team in very, very high regard. I really like this character and I really like how Burn, you know, really put some flesh on the bones of this of this character that up to this point was just not really anything. But what's ironic is then I didn't really care for Burns' series of She-Hulk. I, it just it failed to click with me, I guess, because for one, it was very comedic, but also he kept breaking the fourth wall all the time, and I don't like that in comics. It's all right once in a while, you know, if Clark Kent winks at the at the reader, but he made that an active part of that series where she knew she was a comic book character. And she would frequently frequently talk to both the reader and to burn, you know, and telling him what she wanted in the story or how to draw this or that. And it got annoying after a while. I really don't like that. I, I think I know what he was going for. For me personally, it didn't click. You know, I, I just I wanted her to be like she was in this story, um, more of a of a straight up superheroine as opposed to you know whatever she was supposed to be in that kind of a uh, a comedic um omaha light or something you know i just i don't i don't i didn't really care for that but then uh like you say you know she came back with uh was that a mini at first with uh with uh, I can't remember. Was that a mini or was that an ongoing? I think they did two series. They were like yeah, it was two series, each, twenty issues each, something like that. Yeah, yeah. but and they were they fantastic. Yeah, everything I've read with those, uh, I haven't finished the series yet. But everything I've read the, with those, I've really enjoyed the, them. The only thing I didn't like about that book um, is that. And Slot has a tendency to kind of do this where he inserts either himself or someone like himself or puts too much of a fanism in it. Because one of the characters is a guy that reads all these comic books because comic books are the real adventures in the Marvel Universe. So they're precedents. So like when you're citing a legal case, you can go to the comic books. And I'm like, really? You've got a fanboy working in the law firm? Um, other than that, I thought it was a pretty solid book. Yeah, I, I liked that idea as a little comedic nod. And if they'd have just done it in that one issue and then that was it and it was never referenced again, I would have thought it was brilliant. But yes, it became an actual active, like real world part of that that corner of the Marvel U. And then it became to me, it was kind of like, OK, that that's too much, you know, yeah, you're, you're, that you're going to pull out. Yeah, you know, you're going to pull out some, you know, Thor annual as, you know, legal core evidence of, you know, the the fight between Thor and Herc or something. It is, yeah, that was kind of silly, I thought. But some of his other concepts in there I thought were really, really good. And I loved, yeah. uh, you know, the uh, the awesome android, you know, being Andy that worked in the law firm. I, there was something very amusing about well, that. I, I thought I loved, that was really I, cool. I loved her hooking up with John Jameson and, and, and yes. having to deal with, Jay, you know, Jay Jonah as like a possible father-in-law. I mean, it was this Dan Slott, when he's on, he is on. And yes. he has a great sense of character. I don't know what it is about him as a writer where he will just do things where you look at it and go, did someone not tell you that was a bad idea? (laughs) Because someone should have told you that was a bad idea. I don't need to see Peter Parker 
having the memories of Doc Ock, and in those memories, remembering having sex with Aunt May. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty weird. What? I don't don't need that. No. What? No. That happened the latest issue. No. No. No, it did not. No. (laughs) We have broken Chris. What? (laughs) Chris is driving to New York City as we speak. No. (laughs) No. 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 You don't know. No. Seriously, how do you pitch that? How do you, as an editor, go, you know... That's a good idea. No. Run with that. Well, the other... Uh, what? The other big thing for me that I took away from, from this, um, and that has always really stood out in my memory, and, and I was glad to read it, you know, read this again after so many years just for this moment, was when the, hel- the uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier crashes. That was a big deal when this book came mm-hmm. out. You know, we'd never seen anything like that before, and that was one of those. You know, the the helicarrier is just one of those uniquely Marvel concepts. You know, and it, we'd we'd seen it for years, just flying around in different stories, and then all of a sudden it crashes, and it was just it was a big deal. It was you know on a level with like, you know, when when the Enterprise blew up in Star Trek Three, it was that kind of a thing where the fanboys were just like, oh my god, you know, we they can't, you know, they couldn't believe that. You know, Marvel had done that, and I—that's one of the big things I've always remembered this book for, because that that had ramifications in the Marvel U. You know, this book very much, while it you know existed kind of outside of the series of Fantastic Four and its own little thing, and was a little more mature and all that. Still, the events happened as far as the Marvel universe was concerned, because it was later referenced. Um, you know, especially with the shield thing. So I always thought that was really, really neat. That moment almost didn't seem to belong in this book to me because while it's an enjoyable story, it almost seems like it's an otherwise kind of throwaway little story. Mm-hmm. Except all of a sudden it has this major Marvel moment in it that just didn't seem to go with the rest of it. You think? That's the way it felt to me. I don't know. It just didn't feel like it belonged in this book for that to happen. I'm not trying to say it's a bad story. It was an enjoyable story. But it didn't seem to have the gravitas to have that kind of moment in it. And and it, it almost struck me as like being a prelude to something else. Right. You know, like, like if you were going to build on it in some way, and I'm talking about the whole story, not just on the crash, then that then it's okay. But to you know to just have it as a self-contained story but have that moment and it just didn't seem right i think it's that moment and and being referenced later that that gives the story a little more weight because you're right it, you know up till that moment the story does kind of exist almost it's almost like an annual mm-hmm. where you, you know you can enjoy it and you can read it but you know it's never going to be referenced anywhere it's not really you know, quote unquote, important, you know, as far as the ongoing narrative of, of Fantastic Four or She-Hulk or whatever is. But it was that that moment with the helicarrier and the fact that, you know, it was picked up later and, and run with that. Yes, it actually did happen as far as the other inhabitants of the Marvel Universe were concerned, because they referenced it and they talked about it, that 
gave it more weight, I think. But I don't know if that was see, I wish I knew more about the book, you know, the the origin of you know, how did it come to be, what was the point, you know, that sort of thing. Was it was it intended for the for the helicarrier thing to be referenced later, you know, to to give the book validity as far as existing? Because I don't off the top of my head, I can't remember that really happening with the other graphic novels that you know, preceded this and were right around the same era, you know, like, uh, you know, like the X-Men way, like God loves man kills. I don't remember that ever being referenced or, you know, of course the new mutants was because they spun out of that. Mm -hmm. Well, the death of Captain Marvel was the first one. And obviously that's been referenced for many, many years, Mm -hmm. but that took a while though. I mean, I don't remember like when that happened, I don't remember for the first. I, don't I think know, they might have years. been consciously trying to keep them self-contained, you know, right, the graphic yeah. novels. Unless you know, they like, were like New Mutants and spawning something, you know. I mean, like when uh, when the Living Monolith went on his rampage and whatever graphic novel that is. I mean, he destroyed New York City, but in the Marvel universe proper, you know, if you picked up the next issue of Avengers or Captain America, everything was hunky dory. You know, you didn't see you know, a smashed Empire State Building or the Twin Towers knocked over or anything like that. Everything was fine. It was never referenced that this giant monster had rampaged through the city, you know? So, I mean, those those didn't seem to exist, you know, in the same continuity, whereas this one, you know, I don't know if it, that's... Again, I'd like, to, I'd like to know, you know, was it planned or was it retroactive? Or maybe it was Burn. I can't remember. See, I can't remember who specifically did reference, you know, the helicarrier being out of the picture for a while after this. But I know that that did happen, that it was referenced later on. And maybe it was Burn himself just kind of, you know, operating in his own little Burn verse. I really don't know. <laughs> but I know that it was referenced. So... I don't know, but I've I've always been a big fan of this one. I've really enjoyed this one. I love the uh, the poster that came out right around the same time. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's the one of She-Hulk jogging through the park, and she's oh. holding up this uh, in one of her hands. She's holding up this like glass dome, and inside the dome, she's listening to headphones, and inside the dome that she's carrying is a live band that's playing through her headphones. I've, I've always loved that poster. It's a great, great image. It's a burn poster. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that one. I hear you've got that poster laminated, Scott. <laughs> I wish. I wish I'd had it laminated, because when I lived with you, it got a hole knocked in it, remember? It was, who was it? Spirit I, I, Snow, I think. I thought it would be easier to wipe the sticky stuff off, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Windex, yeah. So what do we got for next time? Oh, you know what? I uh, I just looked it up. Um, it was uh, Trentus Magnus. Ah, Trent. Um, had um, and I'm I'm sort of I just I just sent him a, a message on Facebook to ask him exactly which issues. Because he sent me links to download it, and I couldn't get them to work, and I was going to try it later, but they probably expired by now, because it was like in October, early in October. But Irredeemable was, oh, yes. was what I was 
I was saying I was going to read. So that's what it looks like it's going to be for last one. So I'm writing him and, you know, exactly what issues. I, I think that's, he, the, that's a Kirkman thing, right? No, that's no, that, Mark Wade. Yeah. What is the one I'm thinking of? Invincible. You're thinking of Invincible. That's right. Which okay. is another good one, by the way. I, I, I would recommend that as well. But Irredeemable is a good choice, too. I really want to read Invincible to see what Kirkman's like writing in a different genre. I'm, I'm interested. There are, there are people who think Invincible is superior to Walking Dead. That, that's... I don't know. It, it's it's like comparing. Even if that's not Dawn true, of that the Dead, it's still got to be pretty awesome. <laughs> it's like comparing Dawn of the Dead to Spider Man. Yeah, I, I mean, two right. very very different genres. Yes, they can both yeah. be awesome though. So yeah, I, I think they're awesome. They're awesome examples of their genres, but one isn't necessarily better than the other. Right, right. See, I've heard the Leylands make that claim that uh, that they like uh, Invincible better than Walking Dead. So it really intrigues me because uh, on, on the whole, I respect their opinions very much. I don't always agree with them, but I, I definitely respect I've, their opinions. I've read, I mean, <laughs> I certainly know that Kirkman's a great <laughs> writer. So I've read like yes. the first fifty issues or so, and uh, it, it was very you know it was enjoyable. Uh, much like Walking Dead, a very quick read. His run on um, on the I think it was the very latest incarnation of Marvel Team Up was uh, was some really good stuff too. I enjoyed that quite a bit. I don't know if you guys read any of that. No, I, I don't think no, I. No, but read, I heard good things. I don't think I've ever read any Mark Wade comics before. There's a lot of Mark Wade that I'd recommend to you too. Yeah. There, there really is, especially his like early Captain America work before Heroes were reborn. Yeah, and pretty much anything that's not Superman, I I enjoy by him pretty much. I just I don't like his take on Superman. I think he writes a very pussy Superman myself, but that's just my opinion. But he he had a, a real real good. Well, he's had he it's ongoing, but he's had a real good run on Daredevil lately. That's what I yeah. Shag was telling me about that last night. As a matter of fact, that I really need to pick up his Daredevil because while it doesn't negate everything that has come before it, it just goes into kind of a new direction and takes him out of the depressive film noir elements that Frank Miller brought to the book and kind of not so much back to a swashbuckler, but at least out of being depressed all the time. Yeah, it definitely does away with the woe is me type thing. Yeah. The woe is me thing was great because it was really the, like, it was new. Yeah, it was the first thing to do it, but nowadays, yeah, it's become so much of a trope and a stereotype, and yeah, that you don't want to. You just get sick of it. It's like it, it got to the point where it was just how much shit can we pile on him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it it it, it, it wore itself. It was out. like different writers taking turns at figuring out at like different ways to break Matt Murdock and Daredevil. Yeah. Wade's uh, Wade's Captain America just might be my favorite Captain America. He he, he seems to really know and understand that understand character. The character. Yeah, he's he's done some great stuff with that. Oh, good. He, uh, he did um, he did one thing with Captain America, and it was in an interview with Wizard that he said it that I absolutely loved. He goes, "I'm never going to have Captain America look at somebody, uh, another cop, a, a soldier, and call them son." Because the moment you do that, he's an old man. Right. Uh, his idea was to make Captain America a Tom Clancy hero. 
where you right. send him on missions, basically. And the the first story, Operation Rebirth, was amazing. The second one, Man Without a Country. Yeah. Was I was just, just going to say, that needs to be a future Get Chris to Read as yeah. Man Without a Country. That was a really solid one. Just, I mean, they, they expatriate Captain America. <laughs> it's just like, holy crap. Okay. Very well then, sir. I tell you though that that issue of uh, of the rebirth storyline, the one where Cap actually breaks out, that's one of my favorite uh-huh. comic book moments of all time. The art in that by uh, Guardian. Oh, Ron God, yeah. it's beautiful stuff. I mean, it's just fantastic, beautiful, beautiful art. But yeah, I, I like I do I like Wade a, a whole lot. I'm just I've never I've never really cared for his uh, his take on Superman. But most everything else I've ever read by him, I've really enjoyed. Yeah, I liked Birthright. I'm not a fan of Birthright. Nah, you're wrong, Mike. <laughs> I don't know what y'all are talking about. <laughs> Where did I, I was I was about to I actually counted down to that Scott by the way. <laughs> I go, there's a moment of silence. Three, two, you're wrong, Mike. One. <laughs> no, I, am, I, I I don't agree with you. can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. 
Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. drag that fucking ewok out so <laughs> i'm hoping that they do better than the marvel comics and they're not still living in the treehouse vi- you know the ewok village you know i, I would like to see han up. and leia living in like some space version of the trailer park that's i just don't <laughs> i just don't see Car- <laughs> carrie fisher coming back man i just don't come on i don't want to see it She's it's up in the treehouse, and, and you could see the whole, all the branches sagging towards. I want to see the movie start where Han, you know, slams the screen door and barges out into the yard as like Leia's throwing shit after him. You were always a no good son of a bitch anyway. <laughs> I, I want to see it start that way. Now. And then Mala comes across. Mala, Mala, yeah, Mala comes across the trailer park. And he's like. <laughs> The translation at the bottom says, maybe I got something over here he wants. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's on. I know she had her boobs taped. Was she not wearing anything downstairs either? I don't know. I need to go watch episode four. I'll be back. (laughs) I know my friend Ken Ken knows where to freeze frame it to see some side boob up the tunic. Side boob. I don't know where that is. It's right after the trash compactor sequence when she's primping up her hair. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Scene. We went to when we went to the re-releases. He was there in spades, and he was like, "Here it comes, here it comes." <laughs> Why is so, there not an accurate search result for Princess Leia side boob? Whoa! You would, you would think you'd get really a couple uh, of thousand um, hits on that. Yeah, yeah, I know you would too. <laughs> Actually, I kind of like this one. Why am I not getting it? Hang on, I didn't post it yet. Okay. That's why you're not getting it. I don't want to, don't want to be Get left it. off of that mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't think that's Carrie Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> why? Because she doesn't have a Marlboro sticking out of her mouth? <laughs> Come on, a Paul Mall. Hey, Mike, you might not want to click on that, buddy. <laughs> uh, I, I just closed it very fast.
I'm sorry, I should have warned you faster. Anyway. All right, guys, I can go. When I see it say it's called Splooge Blog, I'm I'm linking the Splooge Blog. I know. Oh, is that, I didn't even look at the name of it. It's just it's the image that came up. Sure, you've never been to Splooge Blog. <clears throat> Take a picture, it'll last longer. <laughs> and this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.